Welcome back to the State of the Ark podcast. My name is Mike. My name's Kason. This is our final episode of our Final Fantasy VIII analysis series. There is a lot to get through. I mean, a lot. <laughs> so we're not going to waste any freaking time today. All right. But there is one thing we have to talk about before we get started, and that is that a lot of people are going to be interested in what are you doing after Final Fantasy VIII. This is our last episode, so what's coming next? Um, we are conducting a poll, a vote, right now on our Patreon and Subscribestar pages. So um, if you're not aware of those pages and how they work, anybody, doesn't matter what level you are uh, supporting at, gets an extra podcast. There's an exclusive podcast episode that goes up there. Um, every, every month. Yeah, as well as a, a live stream, a Final Fantasy Friday live stream, just for, for those supporters. Um, but at the $5 level, the, the whole sort of premise of that tier is that you get to lend your voice to the channel. So if you're at that level, you'll be voting on which games that we cover next, um, and you'll be able to submit questions for that exclusive podcast. So that vote is already underway, and at the moment we are neck and neck between Nier, uh, with Nier Replicant coming out here yeah. in, at the end of the month, end of April, um, that's, that's one game that's current or relevant that we wanted to talk about. Or Mass Effect, which is having a trilogy remaster that comes out just a couple weeks after that. So we're not going to be including any Final Fantasy games on this poll, because if we include a Final Fantasy <laughs> game on any poll, it will always win. We don't even need to do the <laughs> there's, poll. There's no reason to do a poll <coughs> if, if there's a Final Fantasy game on that poll. Yeah. And we don't want this to be exclusively a Final Fantasy podcast. So, we're going to include a Final Fantasy game, probably pit two Final Fantasy games against <laughs> each other, every other pull. Yeah. So on this one, it's looking like it's going to be either Mass Effect or Nier, and if you want to vote, we're going to leave that poll up for another week, once this goes live. To the end of the week, I should say. So by Friday this week, I will announce a winner, and then we'll begin working on the first episode for either Nier or Mass Effect, most likely. Um, and then on the next poll, once that game is finished, we will do probably Final Fantasy X and Final Fantasy VI. We'll pit them up, just the two against yeah. each other, and see which one comes out on top. Which one? <laughs> uh, there have been a lot of people who have been saying, please do this with Final Fantasy X. I've been wanting to I replay to, Final that, Fantasy X. And that was one that we kind of thought of doing instead of eight. Was yeah. Ten was on the list, but mm -hmm. we chose eight instead. So yeah. we and want to do it. So anyways, um, hopefully that answers your questions. Um, again, and if, you, if you'd like to support us, if, if you've enjoyed this podcast, check out our Patreon page or subscribe to our page if you're not into Patreon. Both of those links are in the description. Um, but let's get started here. So, All right. last time, um, a lot of people were worried that we had skipped over the scene in the flower field between Squall and Renoa because in right. the chronology, or as the actual game actually happens, that happens first before you before go back to Esthar. And, well, before you go back to Esthar and find out that Laguna is the president of Galbadia, right. right? So before that scene, right. but we, I skipped it on purpose because we have a hard, hard time limit of about two hours and 50 minutes. Yeah. Once that time limit is reached, we have no more room on the memory cards and we can't keep recording. And I knew there was so much about this scene that we were gonna need to talk about that <coughs> we could not possibly have done it in our time limit last week. Yeah. So we're gonna start here. Um, so after you have rescued 
Renoa from the uh, Sorceress's Memorial, right? They have their scene where they fall into each other's arms. Yes. And they've reunited and they take her back in the party. Uh, the game really kind of opens up again there to where yeah. there's a lot of side quests you can do. Well, and that's when you can go content. back into the ship and then you're yeah. flying the Ragnarok around yeah. and you can kind of go anywhere with that, even more so than with the, uh, with right. the garden. Right. So, anyways, um, but the next story beat happens when you go back to the orphanage in Centrum. Mm. And uh, when you arrive there, uh, there's a scene between Squall and Renoa. If she's not in your party, the other characters in your party, you, you, you kind of enter and then you just turn to the left really quick and there's a big flower field out yeah. there. Um, actually, it's kind of easy to miss. It's easy to miss. I was just about to say that. <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you've been there you know, in the previous part of the game where you come to the orphanage, it can be easy to miss this flower field screen. It, it kind of doesn't seem like it would fit that it that it ought to be there in general. That because just right to the left Centra here is, is really, a yeah, because flower field. All of the entire continent, the yeah. continent of Centra is like a wasteland. And not only that, but you're kind of going up against the coastline yeah. here with the orphanage, and so if it just feels like there isn't going to be much. <laughs> right. But there is. <laughs> but uh, this flower field is the same from the opening FMV sequence of the game. And the scene that happens yeah. here, it, once you arrive there, uh, the, the other characters will say, oh, don't you want to talk to Renoa alone? And so right. they'll kind of leave and get yeah. her to come. Or if she's in your party, she'll be there already. But whatever. <laughs> the point is, there's a, a moment for Squall and Renoa to talk alone in this flower field. And this is the scene which was being foreshadowed in the opening FMV sequence. Yeah. Now, of all the things, of all the criticisms, we've had plenty of criticism, plenty of praise over these of 10 hours of talking yes. about Final <laughs> Fantasy VIII. I, I would say the thing that people have come back at me the hardest on is yeah. the opening FMV, the opening FMV sequence. Yeah. And whether or not that's a good hook for the story, whatever. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna preface everything mm. I say here with this. Um, obviously, it works to a large degree with a lot of people. Right. So I'm not trying to suggest, like, <laughs> uh, my view on right. uh, whatever changes or whether the game should have started here or not is anything other than just, a, you know, maybe like a minority opinion or something like that. Right. But <laughs> it's, just, it's just my thoughts on it. And, and obviously it was emotionally resonant. It worked mm. for a lot of people. So I'm not trying to say this thing sucks and it's a piece of crap. I, I hope that we've made it clear that we thought it was... It's beautiful. It's yes. well done. Exactly. In, in For what it is. It's very well done. Like, it looks nice and the sound music and everything, and it's, it's a beautiful piece of art. Yes. Okay. So, hopefully, yeah. we've made that clear so, enough. But now we're going to try and fit it into the story, and that, that's where it's right. a little, little more difficult. But still. So, um, the scene that happens here, let's just go over that first. Squall yeah. and Renoa are talking to each other, and essentially this boils down to them discussing fears about what's going to happen next. Yeah. Um, and, and Squall making a promise to her, mm. right, that he's going to be here waiting for her no matter what. If you, if you get lost, if something happens, you can yeah. return here to this spot, this right. flower field, and I will be here waiting for you. Um, and she kind of reciprocates and says, hey, me too. Right. If you ever get lost, this is where I'll be. And where he more or less um, swears to be her knight if she becomes uh, the sorceress. Yes. Yep. Right? Yep. So she's, she's concerned about what if Ultimecia takes control of me? What if the sorceress's powers come right. back? And he's like, I am going to be your knight in that case. 
Um, so it's a really sweet little scene. Um, I think it's overall it's one that lands pretty well for me, mm-hmm. which is interesting because in the opening FMV I criticized the way some of the dialogue is written. However, <coughs> however, <laughs> uh, and this is going to slam home part of my point that I made before. So the scene is is great, mm-hmm. right? And we're going to talk oh, a little bit more. The scene itself, yeah, very, yeah very like good. like the flower field scene. Yeah. Their discussion is is a great scene. Yeah, I really like good. it. And what comes right after that, when you go back and then um, Idea comes out and she like talks to you for a minute and you can go talk to mm-hmm. her and sit a little bit, she elaborates on the whole sorceress's knight role. Right. And that's really great too. So like the way that they pull yeah. this whole scene together, I like everything about mm-hmm. it. I think it's great. But I need to comment on how this ties into the opening FMV and make a couple of extra points to kind of clarify why I felt the way I did. Before I do that, though, do you want to say anything about that scene? Did anything stick out to you there? That you uh, no, I mean, about? we kind of went over the basics, and I, you know, let's hear it. Okay. So I, 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 um, I talked a little bit about the use of ellipses, which is the dot, dot, dots, the yes. overuse of ellipses yes, in the often. opening FMV, yeah, yeah. right? So in the intro version, I'll, I'll put the text on screen so you guys can see it too up here, right, what I'm reading. In the opening FMV version of some of this dialogue, it reads, I'll be here, dot, dot, dot. Ellipses, right? Then the question, why, dot, 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 question mark. Mm. I'll be waiting. Waiting is in quotations for some reason. Yes, yeah, yeah. (laughs) I don't know why it's in quotations, but the word waiting is in quotations. Then there's an ellipses, dot, 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 here, dot, 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 again. Then Then the question, for what? Then the answer, I'll be waiting, dot, 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 for you, dot, 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 so, dot, 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 again. (laughs) If you come here, dot, 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 you'll find me, I promise. There is an incredible oversaturation or overuse of ellipses. Now, what is the purpose of an ellipses in a sentence? It is to signify a pause, a break, a a hesitation. Maybe a, a sort of like a dramatic pause, right. a beat, in in a in a, in a, a film script or something. Right. Yeah. They would write the words a beat, you know, to, yeah. to signify that you need to pause here before you move let, on. Let to it the sink next. in, yeah. right? Usually for dramatic effect. Yes, I'll... we established that Tetsuya Nomura directed the opening FMV. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Kitase says that was a product of Tetsuya Nomura, completely yes. a product of Tetsuya Nomura. He yeah. he did that, okay. Now I want you to look at the same dialogue within the context of the scene as it actually plays out. Mm. So not in the opening FMV. So the first two lines are the same. The I'll be here, dot, dot, dot. And then the dot, 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 why, right? Then there's a line in between those. The reason you couldn't find me was because we haven't promised yet. And she says, promised, dot, dot, dot. And then he goes on to say, I'll be waiting for you. If you come here, you'll find me, I promise. None of that. Without the, None of okay. that has any ellipses in it. So again, to contrast, the first two lines are the same, so we'll set that aside. There's a dramatic pause as they're sitting here saying, right. I'll be waiting. Why would you be waiting for me? Sure. So there's a little bit of uh, a beat in between those lines, right? The first one, or the intro version is, I'll be waiting here. Then a second question, for what, which is not in this one. 
I'll be waiting, repeat it again, for you. So, if you come here, you'll find me, I promise. That sounds almost like echoes. Yes. Like you're hearing a voice on the wind, but you can't quite and, decipher it. And maybe that was Nomura's intention because it is kind of dreamlike. Yeah, it seems very flowy. Like a The dream. opening FMV yeah. is kind of um, abstract <coughs> and kind of dreamy. So maybe it yeah. is meant to sound, because they, they didn't record lines, there's no voice acting. Exactly, so we don't know exactly how those So maybe sound. it's meant to come across like this almost dreamlike mysterious voice like yeah. on the wind almost. Maybe that's the intention. And if if the way he chose to do that was to just put dot dot dots, then that may not have been the best way to do it. But I, I again I don't know I, exactly I could see how that, he would do I it. I could see that being the reason why. Yeah. But in the in the version that's in context, um, he doesn't say I'll be waiting three times like that. He only says it once. I'll be waiting. I'll be here. The reason you couldn't find me is because we haven't promised yet. I'll be waiting for you if you come here, you'll find me, I promise. And it's, it's written pretty straightforward. So, I guess just to, to kind of um, elaborate on the point that I was making as, as it comes off as being a bit melodramatic or overdramatic oh, yeah. to me in the right. intro sequence, it is because of this use of ellipses and this repetition of using the same words Which, three times. As without think, context or without alluding to what you're talking exactly, about, yeah. right? And the, he does the same kind of thing in um, Kingdom Hearts yes. at the beginning of those, yes. where Sora thinking, "I've been having these weird thoughts lately." Dot dot dot. You know, and uh, they'd use the dot dot dots kind of similar, except it is voice acted. Yeah. Well, maybe parts of it aren't though, because sometimes there is text on screen, but um, parts of it are, and then he's able to kind of convey that in a different way. Sure, but. It's it's a similar kind of thing, and I think it is supposed to be dreamlike. And also, the whole idea of editing a montage style like that, where you're cutting things that don't make sense against mm -hmm. you know different backdrops, the just juxtaposition makes me feel like it is it is supposed to be a dream. Not yeah. only that, at the end of it, he wakes Squall up. wakes up, right? <laughs> so it's clearly meant to be a dream. Um, but yeah, I see what you're saying. Okay, so anyways, the fact that the Repetition of, of things that were not necessarily in the in-context version, the just total overuse of ellipses, mm -hmm. are part of why that dialogue reads in that sort of melodramatic, kind of corny way to me yeah. in the intro sequence. And it's interesting to me that it does not read that way in the actual script when they get to the scene. I think that's very interesting. So Absolutely. that's one Which part. means that our artistic decision was made to separate the words out a lot early on in the intro. Um, and, well, I don't know, because one of the things that we're doing here when we, when we you know, analyze the story is we're not, you know, we're trying to figure out why they did what they did. Yeah. <laughs> and sometimes it's hard to figure out why they did what they did. Yes. Like in this case. Because well, the, the text exists, but it's different. Yeah. I mean, that, that should be the point. Or I think, I think <coughs> it's important to consider that. Like, yeah. rather than saying, oh, I didn't like this because right. I don't like it. It's like, well, why did they do that? And, and then if you can kind of discover the, the process behind why and then consider the scene with that right. in mind, it's like, oh, okay. It can be more valuable. It can, it can change your perspective yeah, on yeah. it, right? Um, but that's assuming you can, you can you find can out why. figure it out in the yeah. first place. But... So, okay, so that was one part of the reason why I, I'm not necessarily the biggest fan of the presentation or the style, because the sure. whole discussion in that first episode was about uh -huh. style, right? Yeah. I don't, I'm not in love 
with Nomura's style right. and with Kitase's style. No, I'm not talking about substance or talking about like content itself. I'm right. talking about the style of sure. the presentation. And this is a, a great example of how you take one thing and you change the style of how it's presented and it changes how it lands. Yeah. Right? Yep. So that's one part of it. The other part of it, and, and this is where I, I kind of want to transition into talking about like what is the opening in FMV sequence setting up? What is it foreshadowing? Right. What is it meant, what mysteries is it trying to establish, right? Um, I think it's really, really important thematically that this scene be included in that opening FMV. Right. If we're, okay, sorry, let me, let me start here actually. So I, 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 I said that I thought a better hook or opening for the story would be the Dalit mission. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah to, yeah. to some yeah. degree, I still hold to that. But I want to now go back and say that I think that there are a just a couple, like not even that many, mm -hmm. small tweaks yeah. that they could have made to the opening cinematic that would have made it a really effective opening hook. So now that I've said that part, diving into, okay, what th is the thematic core of Final Fantasy VIII? What is it that the story is trying to say? What is, what is it leading into? We talked about, I think in episode two, that the kind of the core theme of Final mm -hmm. Fantasy VIII is how long can a person get by with the yeah. attitude of squall, of I can, everyone no needs to help. take care of themselves, yeah. I don't need help from other people, yeah. I can become strong, uh, you know, dismissing, letting others into your heart. Mm -hmm. How long can you get by with an attitude like that? And once you finally fall in love with somebody, how does that person right. deal with those <laughs> issues internally? Yeah. Yep. That's what Final Fantasy VIII's about. Sure. And, it, and it's all incorporated in his resentment of his role of leadership and in falling in love with Renoa and how he deals with all this while mm -hmm. the whole time trying to shut everyone else out around him. Right. This scene in the flower field is a key moment in Squall's character progression. Right. Him coming fully over the hump of, uh, of letting go of mm. that need to protect himself and shut other people out mm. and accepting Ranoa into his heart. Right, because what he's essentially saying in this scene is we're not going to be apart. Like I don't foresee a future at the moment. I do not foresee a future where we aren't together. Mm. And if that ever happens, I'm going to be here and I'll just be waiting for you. That's what yeah. my life is only with you. And if for some reason we're not together, I'm literally just going to be waiting for you so that I can continue my life. Right. That, that is essentially what he's saying. And that's a pretty big deal for yeah. Squall. It's a huge to, deal. To not only admit that to himself, but to, to say that out loud to a human, a living, breathing human. <laughs> and and he, he, you know. He's making a declaration. He's making yeah. a promise yeah. that he's going to protect her. He's going to be her right. knight to the end. He's, he's there for her. Yeah. He's opening up himself yeah. to her. He's letting her in. He's breaking the, bar yeah. the, the, the barrier he set up around himself. Yeah. He's fully opening his heart to her. This is huge for Squall and it's huge for the, the core theme of the game. So that scene being included as a setup mm -hmm. in the opening FMV is a really great idea. Yeah. Right? Alluding to that scene. Now, the only thing that I would change in the opening FMV, in the way they do it, is just in how they chose 
to write those words. Yeah. First of all, I wouldn't have made it as repetitive as they did. They yeah. essentially repeat the same sentiment three times. Okay. <laughs> First time, I'll be here, question why. Statement, I'll be waiting here, essentially right. repeating exactly the same thing as the first one. Question again for what? But here's the thing, for what <laughs> means why. Yeah. Like the word why in Spanish is por qué, but por qué means for what. Yes. That's what it means. Yes. <laughs> and so, so two or four anyways, lines yeah. that repeat the same sentiment The twice. same sentiment, yeah. Then the third time, I'll be waiting for you, so if you come here, you'll find me, I promise. So we have a statement, a question, yeah. a re repetition of the same statement, a further clarification <laughs> asking question, and then a, a barely explained same exact sentiment with a little bit extra on the end. Yes, yes, yes. I, it is my position that mm. that is bad dialogue. It's too okay. repetitious. What if, because we're, we're having to assume a lot here, this is a voice on the wind, and the question saying why and for what should be in parentheses as if it's someone's thoughts, not mm. someone talking, not a yeah. dialogue. Yeah. So if the why and for what is someone thinking as they are hearing this um, voice in the wind, mm -hmm. then all of a sudden, like, it can make a little bit more sense, right? Yes. That, 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 that's not what we can tell is happening here. Yes. But that would be a pretty subtle change that would make it feel right. a lot better. Here's the only thing I would have changed about this part. I would have had one mm. vague statement, right. a question to ask for clarification, mm. and then a clarifying statement. The end. So, so cut out the I'll too. be here. You can choose for what or why. I don't care which. Right. Either, either question. Only mm. one of them. I'll go with for what. I'll be here. For what? If you come here, you'll find me, I promise. That is what I would have put as the text mm. for that as it's pushing out into the ocean part. And instead of the dot, dot, dots, you can do, I'll come here, just as one text, let it fade off. Yes, fade then, away. You know, or or you have some kind of me. effect where like... Yes, you can find me, and then I promise can just be a thing. So instead of using the ellipses to produce a dramatic effect, you can literally just reveal the text yes. in a more dramatic way that and will have the have same effect. have some kind of effect where it wisps away or yeah, something yeah. like that. Right, instead of just the... So they kind of do though. It kind of blurs out and gets all. That's it. it, it kind of does do, but that, it just kind of. You're right. Fades a little. But anyways, I'll be here for what? If you come here, you'll find me. I promise. Bam. Mm. The entire sentiment is there. It's right. just way more <laughs> efficient, yeah. and less repetitive. And here's the other part. So carrying on into another thing that bothers me about the opening FMV is its mixture of diegetic and non-diegetic mm -hmm, elements mm -hmm. in a way that to me comes off as a little bit clumsy, Yeah. right? Because it, it feels like we talked about the, the start screen demo um, montage yes. that plays when you leave the start screen alone for a yes. second and the game just kind of shows you a little trailer. Exactly. Yeah. That's what it felt like. Yeah, yeah. But it actually also serves at the same time as the legitimate opening scene of the game. Yes, because it so, is the hook for the whole story. Right. Yeah. So the fact uh -huh. that it that it mixes this diegetic and non-diegetic elements together mm -hmm. is what leaves you feeling like, oh, this must be just kind of some montage thing. The yes. game hasn't really started yet. Right. So, for instance, no. Squall's gunblade does not come flipping down from the heavens, landing <laughs> into the dirt. It's a cool shot. Yeah. It's a freaking cool 
cinematic yes. shot. The composition's awesome. It didn't actually happen, it though. It does not happen. Yeah. <laughs> so the fact, so yeah. that makes me think, oh, okay, this is, that, that's what makes it feel montage Yeah. And not like, oh, we're actually having right. an opening sequence here, right? You remember the beginning of, like, like Super Smash Brothers, when yeah. you just leave it alone and then it shows the little cinematic of the characters like fighting, yes. but it's not relevant to how the game actually goes. Yes, yeah. I mean exactly. It, it feels just like that. Exactly, yeah. and and uh, there was someone else. I think it was Chocolate Rob brought up. Mm-hmm. You know, there are other games like Silent Hill, and he, he lists a couple mm-hmm. of others that do this type of thing, and it's like the difference, especially in Silent Hill, is that it mm-hmm. really only plays on the demo screen or the demo only plays on the start screen mm. when you actually press start and you start the game up that scene doesn't play again uh, i see it just see. brings you into the the aftermath yeah. of the car the aftermath of the car crash right. and the character looking for his daughter and he starts mm. exploring silent hill but it, the game that you don't press start new game and then it plays that montage which in Final Fantasy 8 it does which is exactly what ff8 does yeah because the demo on the start screen for ff8 is just all those images while it does like the opening credits, yeah, that dun 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 music, and then it shows a bunch of just still images that are in black and white with opening credits. When you actually press new game, you get the shot pushing out from the ocean, and you get this whole intro scene. And this all happens. So, part number one, the way the dialogue is written at the beginning. Part two, the mixing of diegetic and non-diegetic uh, elements together, yeah. I would stick with purely diegetic elements. Sure. So I would just play the scene of yeah. Squall and Cypher fighting, fighting each other yeah. as it actually happens, mm-hmm. rather than try to style it up so much with all of these non-diegetic elements in it. Right. Now, the third thing that people brought up that this is that the opening FMV is intended to set up or to foreshadow is the mm-hmm. time compression idea. Right, just because it's a montage and everything's happening simultaneously, right? Yes, and yeah. I'm not sure I mm. agree that that was the intention of this. No, I don't think it would have been. Um, but if it was, yeah. I think that you <coughs> could make it a diegetic element of the scene somehow. Sure. By having Squall reacting to seeing these visions. Multiple things at once, yeah. Right? So Squall is having some kind of glitch in the matrix, we'll call it, where he is legitimately seeing these things that are gonna come in the future or something. There's Mm. a a time compression glitch happening in his brain while he is fighting Cypher. And it's because- And then he gets hit. It's because he's distracted by this stuff happening that he gets cut. And the cut is diegetic. It, it really did happen. Yes. And he has that scar the whole rest of the game. Right? Yes. So you could have shots of Squall, like you, you show um, Edea or something like that, like those shots of Edea, and he's like, whoa, what was that? And, and he's visibly sort of confused. Yes. And then he's caught off guard by Cypher, and he's sure. back in the fight again. That would introduce it better. And then you, and yeah. I would also show more than what they do, because in the opening FMV, they basically only show the flower field Cypher and Squall fighting, yeah. and then Idea. the the part right Being before crowned. the Adea speech. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. Well, I guess at the very end they show Squall and Noah falling to each other's arms. Ah, uh, but not really. Mm. The close, they don't touch. They don't quite get. They don't there. touch. It so happen. there's like four yeah. scenes in total. We're going to exclude the scene we're in right now. They are right. foreshadowing three scenes in the game: right. the Adea speech scene, the flower field scene, and Squall rescuing Renoa from the Sorceress's Memorial. Right. What I would have done is sneak some Laguna in there. 
I would have uh, uh, to to say maybe LNA is trying to like send him in the past. You know, like you there's sure. there's a lot of other scenes I would have included. I would have gone for maybe six or seven little sequences to because they had boom, enough. Boom. They yeah. could have done that. They had enough space they for done it. That. Yeah, but they kind of just kept showing Idea. Yes, and if they had. They had flashed to like five or six or seven different scenes, and each time you see that Squall himself is actually experiencing some kind of, he's seeing these things yeah. somehow, right? That would have set this up in a diegetic way right. as something funky is going on with time, or he's seeing visions somehow, right. or which is all, these are all things that are important to the plot. Yeah. And they would set them up in a diegetic way that make you go, oh, what's that? What's that about? Like, why, right. why is he seeing all these? And, and if just those things, those things only, had been changed, mm-hmm. I feel like that opening FMV would have been a really great opening sequence and a hook to the game. I they could have that. kept it as an FMV rather than making it playable. And uh, it wouldn't have felt like, oh, I'm just watching like a demo. Okay, I'm just going to relaxing and watching mm-hmm. this. It would have been sure. like, no, pay attention to this. Sure. This, is, this the game started. It's actually yeah. happening. So, like, starting off with Squall and, and Cypher, like, walking into the, into the arena they're going yes, to fight in, yeah. right? Pulling their gun blades out. Maybe they have a, a line of dialogue back and forth or something. Right. Like, ready for this? You know, you set up mm-hmm. their teasing or, or their, their ribbing of each other, right. their rivalry a little bit. And then they go at it and start. And then he starts to have these, uh, like, visions or whatever. And he hears this voice, which is... <laughs> In reality, it's his own voice because he's the one making the promise that he'll be here. Yeah, right? you feel like it's not, but it is. But if you're going to set up time compression, I think that would have been a better way to do it. Mm. Um, so anyways, that, those well, were just the extra points the, I wanted just to make. If, if you try to connect just a montage to time compression, montages are so common. They're yeah. used all the time everywhere. Um, it never tends to hint at that kind of that this kind of a thing in Final Fantasy VIII, and so that may, if that was what Nomura was going for, that may have been the wrong tool to accomplish it because montages use this type of montage edit is used so often for other things yeah. that it doesn't actually seem to suggest because editing in general is non-diegetic, and so it doesn't you don't feel like it suggests anything to the actual story. Right. It just doesn't come across that way. It feels but it, like is, it is kind of a cool-ish thing to look at later, but I doubt yeah. it was done on purpose. Yeah, and, and it just feels more like a, like a music video. Yes, it does <laughs> it's exactly like, um, like a music video. It, then something where it's like, we are, we're suggesting some really real mysteries for you to look at here, yes. right? Yeah. That are, the story has started now, like pay yeah. attention type mm-hmm. of a deal, right? Yeah. Um, so, it, I mean, doing this would set up Time compression, it would set up uh, the, the cl- or Squall's like character arc of needing to <coughs> like let people into his heart. And right. like it would set up, and some people brought up, you know, the, the connection with Cypher is really important. I'm not really sure I agree with that, but I'll get to that more in a minute when we talk about Cypher at the end of the game. Okay. Um, I don't think that, I'll just say that I don't think Squall and Cypher's rivalry ends up having any thematic relevance Mm. to the story at all. It kind of starts off like that. I think the right. way Cypher is handled in disc one yeah. merits, like, or maybe they were going in the, going for something with that where that would tie in more, especially sure. with a, like a love, a possible love triangle between yeah, Cypher, yeah, yeah. Squall, and Renoa, but that doesn't really amount to anything by the end. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Cypher and Squall are rivals doesn't really lend to any thematic consequence by the end mm-hmm. of the game. It doesn't really matter anymore. 
No. So I don't see why setting that up in the opening scene is that important. But I'll, I'll talk about that more in a minute. Let's move on past this. Okay. And talk about sorceresses and their knights, right? So you go and you talk to Idea uh, at the orphanage, and she mentions how sorceresses in history, like throughout mm. history, like part of what keeps them from sort of like going up the deep end, going off the deep end with their, you know, like the power that they have right, and, and, the and becoming tyrants or, or yeah. oppressive is whether they have a knight. So this is fascinating. I absolutely love this specific part of the game because Idea, like the sorceress's knight, is meant to protect the sorceress, but it's meant to protect the sorceress from herself yes more so yes and and this is probably the biggest part that maybe cypher didn't didn't get understand mm-hmm. is that the sor- though the knight is the executioner of the sorceress bidding well no the knight protects the sorceress but from herself the greatest threat to a sorceress is her own power yeah and that is that's really cool I, I think it's fascinating and then that gives a different kind of because as soon as um, Squall starts suggesting well I'll be your knight Renoa mm-hmm. the in, the initial thought is oh he like if Renoa becomes evil and all this stuff then then that means Squall's going to become evil too but there's there's a there's a subtle difference in you know the way Cypher looks at it and yeah. then the way well Idea and presumably Squall looks at it which is no it's it's to protect you from yourself. Yeah, that, I think that's huge. I think that's really cool, actually. It's a really cool addition to the game. And, and I also really liked that when Idea is talking about that, she suggests mm. Sid is her knight. She oh, doesn't yes. say anything about Cypher, yeah. right? Like, so <laughs> Cypher was never really Idea's knight, right? Because he wasn't serving that role. No. He wasn't protecting her from herself. Right. He was enabling, or essentially just serving as a puppet yeah. to her whim, to the whims of Ultimatium, yeah. ultimately. He kind of became the knight of Ultimatia, but he, not really though, because the role of the knight is this purpose. It's right. to keep the sorceress from becoming evil. Yes. Right? And Cypher <laughs> you, uh, yeah. was never doing that. So yeah. he was never really a knight in the first place, which is ironic <coughs> considering he finally had the opportunity to live his childhood dream. He had no idea what that role didn't, even was. was. But that, that's, what you, that's what happens when your, your childhood dream is linked to like a Hollywood movie or something, yeah. you know, where it's like you, you get a, a screwed up version of the thing as opposed to the actual mythology. You just watched a movie about it and yeah. movies tend not to do justice to the actual thing. But if you learn your morals from movies, then you kind of end up not being yeah. a very moral person, and that kind of seems to be sort of kind of the way Cypher went. He had a very naive, childlike understanding of what a sorceress is, yes, is and what the absolutely. role of that, that yep. person is for the sorceress. You know, he thought it was just, it was all about the glory yeah, or, or, yeah. or the, the recognition and or the, the position, the... The general, it? like you're the general yeah. of her, our military, you know? Yeah. It's like, that's not... That's not what you are. Yeah. But that's how Hollywood would portray it. Yes. Night, you, know, if it, you know, in any way. Exactly. So it's, it's really cool that Idea sort of like details the importance mm. of, uh, of the sorceress's night. And, and she's telling this to Squall and Renoa because she can see yeah. that they are kind of, they've come into that role for each other. Yes. Right? So he's and, like, and the mirror between, as I mentioned last episode, between her and Sid is so evident with Squall and Renoa, in right. especially the way that he's willing to you know, do so much just to be able to save her. He already has committed to being her knight. He doesn't, there is no more needed to be done. Like, he, it's already happening. He already is yeah, there. exactly. And she goes on to say that Adele never had a knight. 
mm. right? The, like the, the most uh, malicious yeah. sorceress that they've ever known in this world, Adele, was a, was a sorcerer who never had a knight. Mm. And presumably that's kind of the reason she went as far overboard as she sure. did. Sure, there was nobody to... Yeah, yeah. and to then, and then she herself. speculates. She speculates right. that Ultimatia, the sorceress from the future, mm. that is the one who's taking over all yeah. of these people in the present, she probably doesn't have a knight either. Mm. Right? So I really like that little moment as a world-building moment as yeah. a moment of Idea sort of becoming like humanized a little more. Yeah. Sid, we talked about this last time, like Sid's desperation to save his wife, yes. pushing him to like kind of force Squall mm-hmm. into a leadership position, even though it makes no sense to do that yes. because he's 17 and there's probably more qualified people, but he knows because Idea saw yep. by the ending of the game that a, a, a seed named Squall, who she knows is hurt one of her yeah orphan kids is going yeah. to grow up to defeat the sorceress Ultimatia. So it has to be him. It has and to so be him. so Sid would just push him and push him and push him. And in part, it's the desperation to save his wife, the same that Squall felt to save Renoa. Just right. that, that crazy, nothing else matters. Everything Sid does yeah. is within the role of the sorceress's knight. He's yeah. trying to protect his wife from herself. Yeah. And so... When you look at it that way, it's actually an incredibly romantic story yeah. between Sid and Idea. And specifically at the very end when we see the credits and they've got like the home video, you know, that they're filming. Um, to see when you see Sid and Matron together in, you know, a more realistic kind of setting mm-hmm. and, you know, they kind of have a moment together. It's it's I felt it was really powerful. I did not feel that in my first playthrough. But yeah. with this one, as I was I'm analyzing things a lot more and I'm seeing that uh, Sid's relationship to Idea became a lot more important to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's really well done, and I it's just thought this well scene was really good. It's a it's a great way of bringing it all together. Yeah, um, it's a great world building moment. It's a great character moment for all involved for yeah. Squall and Renoa and their romance for Sid and Idea and, yeah. and their relationship. There's great and payoffs e- here. Even you know going branching out to like Cipher and and yeah. what what crap he's gotten himself into. Yes, that is just not what he thinks it is. This you know this helps to like shed light on that. Yeah, I think it's really good. So. Yeah. Big thumbs up for this for these two scenes back to back. I think they're freaking great. Um, you know what's funny though? So Cypher is has a, a twisted idea of what it means to be a knight, right? But Cypher has Fujin and Raijin, which as far as I can tell, they are like his knights basically. Kind of, yeah. Where they really are, they'll fight for him, but yeah. at the same time, they will also not fight for him like he wants them to fight but they won't but it's for his good it's almost like he has those knights for himself he has those people who care so much about him that even when he tells them to do something sometimes they just say no we're not going to do this because Mm -hmm. it's for your own good Um, he had those people for himself yet he still kind of overlooked that in when he was trying to be a knight for for the sorceress I think think that is actually a good point it's a good thing to point out Um, so when we, we kind of brushed over this in the last episode um, because we figured Squall is brushing over it in this moment, so it's okay to kind of stick in it where he is in his mentality. Sure. But Idea was explaining who Ultimicia is yes. and what Ultimicia's yeah, goal is. We should probably is. talk about that. <laughs> and we haven't really talked about that no, ourselves not really, because no. Squall was like, I don't care, I just want to save Renoa. Yeah. So we're like, look, we're going to stick with Squall's mentality for this, but it's probably good now to actually talk about yeah, what because is now we're getting into this. And why is it spelled with a K? 
time compression? Every, uh, not oh, all no, the no, time. that's just how she says it. Why, though? I think she has an accent. It's, yeah. so it's, it's just, she has a weird accent. But a K makes the same sound as a C. <laughs> I think it's supposed to be a hard K. Compression? Yeah, kind of like, like that. that. So I kind of figured that same thing, too. I mean, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, I just thought it was funny. That was funny. So, Sounds like Dr. Odine saying it. Kind of, I think it's meant to, uh, the suggestion is meant to be she has this really like, almost, um, yeah. I don't know, like Russian-esque sort of like emphasis guess, on those hard consonants. I guess there's no other way to do it because the whole rest of the word, compression, you would roll the R, but there's no way How to signify you, that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So anyways, um, Ultimatia is a sorceress from the future yes. <laughs> of this world. Yes. What is happening... Like the far distant future. Yeah. Thousands of years. We don't know exactly ahead. when, but it's in the future somewhere. Yeah. And, but it's, I would, I would say presumably the distant future. Yeah. Right? Well, because at least multiple generations of seeds lives later. <laughs> sure, yes. Because <laughs> that much is revealed. So, she becomes aware of her fate. She's going to be yeah. killed by a seed <coughs> yeah. named Squall. Um, she mm. knows this is going to happen. She knows she's going to die. So everything that she's doing is to try to avoid death, right? She's trying to avoid being killed by seed. So she has a machine that has the same power that Elena has yeah. back here in Squall's time. And that was Dr. Odin's machine. And, right. Doctor, by Odine. the way, do you remember the name of that machine? It was hilarious. I can't I remember don't. it either, but it was like the time machine thinking LNA, something with the name LNA. The yeah. LNA was in the machine. Yeah, but it, but the, it was like, it was, a, it was the worst title you could ever think. <laughs> I wish I could remember it. But um, it, it's important to point out that, the, that LNA's power is really unique. Mm. As far as I think we know she's the only person yeah, that's who true. has this power. That's kind of unusual. It's not like a regular sorceress's yeah. power. And it's also not even clear to why she has that power. Yes. She just was born with it and that's just how it is. Yes. So when Adele mm -hmm. was seeking out to kidnap Elena earlier mm -hmm. in the game, it, it, they kind of presented it as maybe she was looking for an error and Elena right. was, could, was a, a, a candidate to become a sorceress. To be the new I don't think Adele was ever planning on, on dying, on and dying passing or power. passing her power off to anyone. <laughs> I think that's a good assumption. Uh, maybe other sorceresses did that, so that was yeah. the assumption of some of the, the NPCs who were talking about it, right? Right. But Adele wanted Elena not because she could be a sorceress, but because she had this power to send people's consciousness yeah. into the past. Yeah. And possibly affect change yes. in the past. Which is what Ultimicia wants. Exactly. So Ultimicia knows that this machine she's using, developed by Dr. Odine, mm -hmm. was influenced by his testing of a girl named Elena. Right. So she's using it to travel back in time to kidnap Elena to control Adea or whoever else she has yeah. to, to kidnap Elena to make sure that the, the machine is created for yeah. her in the future, right? Which is why Elena's life is Absolute misery. A total like mess. her whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Right? So Odine is successful in creating this machine. And mm. so this machine that Ultimicia uses in the future to, to transport her consciousness into the past is the same power that Elena uses to do it for Squall mm. during the course of the game. Um, so it, it's... I'm so conflicted on this because mm. in one way... The game does such a good job of building a consistent time model. Yeah. In another way, her goal makes absolutely no sense to me. Yeah. Because 
in the end, as Laguna explains, or I think Odino ex explains back in Esthar, Ultimatia is trying to take control of Adele in this time period right. to have Elena send Adele further into the past to cast time compression. At which time, like, like, hmm. so let's talk about time compression for a second. Right. The idea of time compression is to create some kind of singularity right. where Everything's all happening simultaneously. is compressed into a singular <coughs> moment. Yeah. This will <coughs> erase the timeline where Ultimecia is killed by yeah. Seed. She's hoping to essentially destroy the timeline and escape from that and create a new universe, a new existence, a new yes. whatever you want to call it, parallel timeline or something. She's trying to escape the timeline which is fixed. We talked about how last time the, the past can't be changed in this world. You cannot change time. Fate is a very real concept. Ultimisha is trying her very hardest to do that. Mm -hmm. Her idea is to cast time compression so that time is irrelevant now and she can like create a new timeline. I have a thought here because I, I, that is what I thought as well. I'm thinking, I'm wondering if, and this may be wrong, just tell me if this is wrong. Okay. <laughs> there, there's, a, there's this timeline, right? We've got a line. And the time compression is not necessary, because I always felt it was weird. How do you go past the time compression, which is what they say, go past it until you get to her time and then everything's fine, yeah. right? So it's not all time that was compressed. It was just from point A to point B along this timeline that was compressed. And that's why Adele needs to go into the past to whenever before Squall was born or whenever just sometime before Squall and then this other point sometime after Squall and compress just that time. Mm. And they need to get past that until they get to this next What you just said makes a, a, like a million times more sense. But is it right? I don't, I don't know, know if it's right, <laughs> but I did have that thought on this on the second place so that I did not think. To compress a, certain, com a yeah. certain period of time. Instead but of not all, all of time. It. Yeah. Because she still exists. There's still a mansion. There's still time, as far as I can tell, once you get past the time compression into her realm. Yeah. Right? And so I feel like it was just point A to point B that got compressed, not all time. Here's what I think is yeah. actually happening. But I like that better. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, who knows? <laughs> I was I was about to go into at the end of Someone this how will I know. how I was about to go into at the end, and I still will, how I don't subscribe to fan theories and I don't like <laughs> fan theories. I kind of like that one. <laughs> but well, I mean, well, it, may, it may be real, though. Like, that may be the correct... What you know, I think I is actually happening is that time compression is underway, but it is not completed. Like, okay, it's never actually okay, sure. finished. So, I like, see. things start getting wacky. Yeah. And, like, it's really weird and psychedelic, and time is definitely distorted. Mm. But it has not fully been compressed yet, and the, the party defeats Ultimisha before time compression is done. So it's like, they use, probably... they use these, I'll, I'll, I'll call it holes or warps in time that are happening due to the compression to get through to where she is in her time. Yes. And they beat her before time compression can actually be okay. completed. I mean, that that is more or less what I thought the first time I played it. I just didn't like that. And so I came up with this <laughs> with this new idea this next time. But, I mean, given the final battle with her and the way the 
background yes. moves. Now, Final Fantasy just tends to have psychedelic backgrounds sometimes just for fun, and it doesn't mean anything. Because it looks sweet. But Exactly, because <laughs> it looks cool. But like anime, you know, there's yeah. background flashing, but that's yeah. not what's really happening. Um, but... And it does seem to fit well along with that in this, where like during this battle, time compression is still kind of affecting everything around. Um, but it would be pretty sweet if it wasn't, you know. Just squalls time to try and kill yeah, him or something. Because she only needed him gun. She didn't need to get rid of all time. Just just this point, and that's why basically from Adele until whatever after that. And then, but here's my point. Yeah. There is no reason, given what time compression is, mm-hmm. to have to go back into the distant past to cast it. You just do it. Right she now. could comp- t- cast time compression from. Right. Her own time, but right? see, that's why I believe that she needed Adele. That's why I believe it's point A to point B because you need the point, you need the this point in time to yeah. have it cast, and then this point in time, and it just eliminates the in between. I have time compression <laughs> pulled up on a wiki here. I doubt they'll say what I just said, and I doubt what I, I said is really what that. they thought. But I like your theory. It's probably a really way long better. Wiki. <laughs> no, it really only says this. See, because um, there isn't much. Okay. It's it's not that long. It basically just okay. Let me just get to this part. When time and space begin to compress, Squall and his allies watch the world turn upside down as a thousand different kinds of space from a thousand different points in time begin to fuse all around them. The uh, the party must swim through the psychedelic landscape to reach Ultimecia, because time and space are merging. Moving through space allows the party to also move through time and emerge on the site of the old orphanage in the future. In keeping with time compression psychedelic nature, the party initially lands in a version of a day as waiting hall in Delling City, around the atmosphere is foggier and there is a save point. No oh, right. When the party steps on the save point, do- a dozen more spring up in the room. So this is just kind of when it starts getting crazy. Yeah, it just, it just starts getting all psycho. And then this is just explaining how they can exist through this. We'll get to this in a minute. And then it just finishes off with saying, they find Ultimecia's castle, they kill her. So it doesn't say that. Up here it says, time compression is the concept of condensing all of time and space into a single moment or singularity. And if that is from the text of the game, then then that is what it is, you know. This is the thing about... The way FF8 and FF10 and FF13 and all of oh Kitase's Final Fantasies work. <coughs> yeah. They're not very clear on these points. Yeah. And it creates some confusion. But it, it also creates fan theories, fan which, theories. which Kitase loves because it engages the community and gets yes. them to fill in the gaps for him. More on that later. <laughs> <laughs> so I've established yeah. essentially my confusion regarding the need to time travel back right. in time. You've come up with a pretty good solution for that. Um, it just may not be. It know, just might not. Official. It depends on whether or not time compression is meant to compress the all entire time, time yeah. all of it from beginning to end, mm. or if it's just a certain space of time that she wants compressed in particular. Yeah. And they've got to escape from that compression over into her time, which yeah. is not being compressed. Which is, it doesn't seem to be compressed to me while we're there. It doesn't look at all like the psychedelics Good theory. of where we were at before. Good theory. It's the first fan theory I've ever liked. <laughs> All right. All right. So that's time compression. That's the Sorceress Ultimecia. This is the party's goal now, is to make it through this time compression, kill her, save the timeline from being destroyed, right? So you end up going back to Esthar, where this is all explained. You meet with Laguna. 
Laguna, you find out Laguna is the president of Vezthar. Do you know what yeah. I really liked about this? It was really hilarious. What? Uh, the very first thing Laguna says when he sees Squalor, man, you look too serious. <laughs> and Squall's That's response. That's great. That's great. Squall's response uh. is whatever. <laughs> oh my gosh. Freaking hilarious. I love it. Um, oh that, my that gosh, I love it. We've been that. following these two yeah. characters as kind of our main characters of the whole game. Yeah. And their first time meeting each yeah. other's. Man, you look too serious. Hilarious, Whatever. total incom- <laughs> encapsulates Laguna's personality. Yes, absolutely. And then Squall's re- replies, "Whatever, Whatever. perfect, <laughs> absolutely perfect." I love that scene. Awesome, hilarious. Oh, that's funny. Um, okay, so now we need to talk a little bit about how it is that they're meant to survive this time compression. Okay, it's a little corny. Mm. It's a little cliche in the. Um, uh, Power of friendship yeah. RPG All you way. Need is love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it, I think, I think it's mm-hmm. actually pretty relevant and important to Squall's character arc yeah. in a very specific way that we have not touched on in great detail yet. Okay. I liked it this time. I liked it this playthrough. I still think it's corny, but it's important to, but maybe it's because it's coming from Laguna and Laguna's a corny dude. <laughs> That's true. He may not have been the so best it, to deliver that. Maybe he's not the best guy to explain. Right. But this is what he says. He says, Ultimisha lives far in the future where none of us can technically exist. There's only one way to make yourself exist in a world like that. As friends, don't forget one another. As friends, believe in one another. Believe in your friend's existence and they'll also believe in yours. To be friends, to like one another, and to love one another. You can't do these things alone. Big emphasis for me there. You can't do these things alone. Yeah. That's all relating to Squall's You need someone else to believe you. Mm -hmm. Believe in you and remember you. Yes. Keep you in their mind and heart. Right. I'm going to get to this in a second. Yes, mind and heart. That's right. You need somebody, right, guys? What place reminds you of your friends? We've had this set up already. Squall and Renoa set up their place, their promised place. What place reminds you of your friends? Imagine being in that place with all your friends. Once time compression begins, think of that place and try to get there. That's all. That place will welcome you. You'll be able to get there no matter what period you're in. You need love and friendship for this mission and the courage to believe it. It's all about love, friendship, and courage. So, it's corny as... It's corny as all Magic, it's very, very corny. My Little Pony, yeah, yeah. 100%. It's Laguna saying it, so I, I excuse it to some degree. However, sure. there are a couple of really key things here. The, you can't do this alone. You can't do these things alone. Um, the, uh, imagine being in a place with all your friends. That place will welcome you. You'll be able to get there no matter what period you're in. Those right. are the key parts for yeah. me. Those are the key parts of what he's saying. Do you remember back in Galbadia Garden when they announced that Cypher had been executed? Yep. And everyone's mm-hmm. talking about their memories of Cypher. And he says, I will never... And Squall freaks out. He freaks out. He doesn't want to be talked about in the past tense, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. He really freaked out. He, yeah. he, he has a huge fear about that. Yep. And he made a huge scene and ran out of the room. Right. Just exploded emotionally. He, he has this fear of being forgotten. Forgotten. Yep. And being talked about or, or just being just becoming a memory or whatever, right? right. It, he's, he's really freaked out about that. Which Tetsuya Nomura resurrects in Advent Children, um, Final Fantasy VII Advent Children later, where Sephiroth is like, I'll never become just a memory. And Cloud's like, get back in my memories where you belong. 
that Final Fantasy VIII of Tetsuya Nomura kind of creeps up into <laughs> Final Fantasy VII a little bit there. Yeah, that's true. It's a good point. Yeah. Um, now, for a little while, I was like, you know, what relevance does this end mm-hmm. up playing in the story? It feels kind of like a strange scene because it's like he blows up about this and yeah. seemingly it's never really brought up again. Right. Now, there are two key areas where I, I feel like it, in one, it kind of does, but not in any really big way. And then once, it's just almost a throwaway line for Manoa. So when, when Squall is getting tortured mm, by that's Cypher, right. That's right. you have a dialogue option yeah. where he can either lie or he can... Uh, he basically can either like give it and be like, whatever, just kill me. Right. Or he can try to lie because I need to stay alive. Right. I have always chosen the whatever, just yes. kill me. It seems like what Squall I don't know do. why naturally that feels like yeah. the right choice to me. But when I think about how he acted mm-hmm. in Galbadia Garden, I think he would probably be a little more Preserve desperate to stay alive. A little bit better. And lie. He's that's also a really bad liar, so that's part true. of the problem. Because he can't, he doesn't fake emotions. He doesn't do that. Yes. Yeah. But there was part of me that thought, maybe it's better to choose the other option because he's yeah. really afraid of just becoming a memory or whatever. Okay, so, so how does that go? I wish I knew. I will make yeah. an addendum and show it because <laughs> I didn't go back and replay the scene because I'd have to replay a lot from right. my save point to be able to like get to that. It mm-hmm. would take probably like 15, 20 minutes just to record that part. Okay. I guess I could try to go find it on someone else's playthrough, but I have to find someone who made that who choice on their playthrough. I will do that for the video when I upload it and show the optional dialogue there and make a point about that, whether it's relevant or not. Mm. Okay, so here I am. I just recorded the second option there uh, during the torture scene, the one where Squall lies to try to save himself. And the answer he gives is pretty interesting, actually. For those who are listening to this audio only and you're not seeing the visual on the screen, Basically, he tries to come up with a lie. So the first thing he says in answer is flower. And the prison warden is like, what What are you talking about? And he elaborates on that by saying seed's goal is to spread seeds all over the world, essentially to flower all over the planet, right? And the guy's confused by that. Oh, so you're talking about, you know, peace and love or whatever? And he's like, no, our goal is to take away people's will to fight because flowers, you know, they they give people feelings of peace or whatever. We take away their will to fight and then we invade. It's a really bad lie, but it seems to work because the guy's like, hey, I'm going to go tell a day about this and he and he walks away. So in the end, Squall seems to have saved himself from further torture, which is not how it ends if you go the other route. He ends up getting tortured more. But the interesting thing here is that he talks about like, I guess the image that comes to my mind is the flower field at the end of the game. And I don't know if there's any meaningful connection between what he's saying here and the fact that that flower field is a really big part of the game and a big part of his character arc, like I talked about earlier. I think this is purely circumstantial, but maybe there is something there. I don't know. But it was just interesting to look at this dialogue because, like I said, I've played the game like five times and I'd never chosen this option before. So there you go. It is what it is. But the last place where this is brought up again mm-hmm. is when Squall and Renoa first get inside the Ragnarok after they're in space together and they get inside of it mm-hmm. and they're talking and she's like, oh, give me a hug. And he's yes. like, what are you talking about? Um, he, he says something like, look, um, 
right now we need to make sure that we get back safe to the right. planet or whatever, right? Like we need yeah. to we need to get in there and like focus. And she says in response to that, so that we don't just become memories or something like that, mm. right? Which signifies that she was listening to his fears and she's right. conscious of what's going on. Yeah you know, mm. inside him. And he's like, yes, that's exactly right. So she kind of brings that up again. Now what's interesting about it is that the only way to survive time compression is to be held strongly in the memory of someone. Right. That, that becoming that like integral, strong memory to someone. Mm. The one thing he was like avoiding <laughs> The whole game is the only way he survives time compression. It's because Renoa holds him in her memory, because she holds him in her heart, which he fought against the whole game, that he actually ends up surviving time compression. Because he gets really lost he does. after the boss fight. He has no yeah. idea where to go. He's getting lost in the time compression. She's lost, but she's looking for him, and she goes into the flower field. Right, there, she's able to make it there she, without too much difficulty. She is able to kind of summon him back into existence yes. because yeah. she kept him in her memory. Yeah. I think that all kind of came together to mm. me on this playthrough. Like his irrational fear of this, uh, her kind of mentioning it again, and then Laguna talking about this is the only way that you can survive time compression, right? Is all the things that Squall tried not to have mm -hmm. earlier in the story. To do things alone, to not believe in your friends, to like not let people into your heart, to, you know, all those things that he pushed away is exactly what you need to have to survive time compression. Wow. <clears throat> I think that that's pretty cool. Do you think Sid knew thematically? that? I don't know. I don't know if he did or not. Because if Sid knew that, and if Sid knew this end, kind of the way Laguna did, then Sid constantly, well, amongst other, all of his friends as well, but Sid was kind of paired everybody up the way that he did on purpose, and, you know, was always encouraging Squall to kind of open up yeah. a little bit. True. You know? I mean, maybe maybe he did. I mean, yeah. if, if Laguna knows it, I mean, certainly, Sid probably did. certainly, <laughs> certainly, other people have to know about it, right? Don't be too hard on he's Laguna. Not, he's not that deep of a person. He, he's he got to be not, repeating this not. from someone else. But, it, okay, it's it's super corny. It's a, yeah. it's a pretty lame no, but concept I, I have a little for how to survive. To say However, well. it is thematically um, satisfying right? and yeah, consistent. Yeah. Yeah. I think it works for the mm -hmm. theme, and therefore I'm, I, I think it's kind of cool. Yeah. But it's if, if you try to like... And, and there are a lot of people who have said this in the comments and things. If you try to take Final Fantasy VIII with too much of an analytical approach, if you try to like look into its rules too much, you know, if you try to like put together the pieces, it's not going to come together. It's not really going to make that much sense, and you're probably not going to like it that much. Mm -hmm. You kind of just have to let that go and feel the game. And for people who can do that, yeah, they can, you know. It's not you know for everybody. Say? It's yeah. not for everybody. <laughs> not everybody can just let go of that and still enjoy themselves. Yes. Right. But the many people can, especially a lot of people uh, in the comments as we've been reading them yeah. throughout these the release of this series of podcasts, that people are saying like it really, like what are they? It feels over reels. That's what everyone says. I yeah. know. But that there are a lot of people that really, really, really love this game. Yeah. And I we can see why. You yeah. Know? Um, but. You know, because we've kind of been on both sides of it, you know, thinking, oh, it wasn't quite so good, and then also coming back around and saying, wow, this is this is extremely good. And um, it's valuable to be able to see both sides, but not 
there's no one game that's perfect and good for everybody, right? Yeah. And some people just aren't going to enjoy that, the My Little Pony aspect <laughs> of, of Final Fantasy VIII. Um, the, the friendship is magic. That's the, the, the power of friendship can <coughs> overcome the laws of physics yes. is a bit of a stretch for me. But, but here's the thing. Like, it, it kind of can, though. Like, there is some reality to friendship is magic with, sure. you know, to the My Little Pony um, friendship is magic stuff, which I've never seen, by the way. I'm just saying it just sounds funny. Yeah. But I've been this, you know, the, I guess mostly last year, I was, I, I've kind of been thinking a lot about just, like, reality and what reality is just yeah. in general because there is, I've been following some people online who talk a lot about, like, manufactured reality yes. or the possibility that we live in a simulation or whatever that sure. is, you know? And and I find a lot of it, you know, it's not like I'm buying into everything, but I, I do, I, as the more that I learn about how you can kind of alter reality or your own reality or the way that, for instance, like news or the media mm. can kind of create reality yeah. for everybody and how history books are, like, if... If you think that today that you know the media isn't super honest or that news is glossing over things it shouldn't or whatever, just imagine history. Like if you think that we're currently in a weird place, that that's kind of always been going on, right? How and reliable? Because so, history is written by the victor, right? Exactly, yeah. exactly, and that's that's commonly known. But we still study it as if it's the true version of events. But that's because we don't really have anything else. Because the victor doesn't allow the minority narrative to surface after they've claimed victory. And mm. so they get to control the narrative. And whoever controls the narrative literally makes reality, right? And mm. b the idea being, if people believe it, it becomes real, mm. right? And so if you, can, if you are an influential news anchor and you have enough power and clout to kind of silence the dissenting people around you, I guess news anchors wouldn't have that power. You'd have to be well above just a news anchor to have that yeah. kind of power. But there are some people who for some things, I'm not saying they can do this for everything, but for some things, they can silence the critics and they can silence dissent. And by doing that, they can cr literally create reality that everyone believes. And the shared belief amongst everybody is what makes it reality in some weird way, you know? And you've got you've to really stretch your mind thinking here and imagine that we're living in a simulation, right? That, that kind of makes this a lot easier. If you can just assume we live in a simulation that kind of has somewhat of a script to it and things are kind of going in a guided direction, right? Um, then it's like reality isn't, isn't reality, right? It feels real. But it's not actually real. As, as uh, in the Matrix, as Morpheus says, if reality is only what you can see, hear, smell, or touch, then reality is just electrical signals in your brain being interpreted. Yes. Well, is that reality? Well, that, that was a point <laughs> I was going to bring up is yeah. that, like, uh, I, I was studying this a couple years ago. I might have mentioned it in a couple previous podcasts. But, yeah. Um, just, like, how this, something I'm fascinated about is how two people with the same stimulus... They yeah. play the same game. They watch the same movie. They eat the same food. They yet it can seems have like they live totally yes. opposite in different worlds. Yeah. Experiences with that, and then and it's because say, yeah. our brains are so complex. Yes, and the and way so they different. are interpreting those electrical signals yes. is different in right. their head than this person. Meaning that they are having a different reality. Yes, 
than this person. They're watching a different movie than you're watching. The chocolate They're cake, playing a different game. The chocolate cake tastes different yes. to you than, than it, it does, does to me. To anyone, yeah. But and we that's interpret crazy it as to chocolate, think. yeah. And in that sense, it's like, and you gotta kinda destroy your conceptions of reality in order to kinda get there. But just, just allow it, allow this little suggestion to enter into whatever you perceive as reality and just understand that people can manipulate reality. That reality isn't just a set in stone thing. That there are ways you can subtly kind of change literally what is reality because reality yeah. is different for everybody and it's malleable and you need like a collective hive consciousness to constitute what most people agree on as being yeah. reality. But you're never going to get a general 100%. consensus on what yeah. red is, and, and any one person exactly, and any <laughs> one person can kind of deviate from that, and and but still be within it, or deviate from it, and then change the whole thing. Yeah, they call it the Overton window of acceptable discourse. That it can shift. You know, mm. you can literally shift what people are allowed to say, and it shifts reality. It shifts what what the history books will be writing about, and they'll say this is what happened, and it's not what happened but that's what reality is. So anyways, just that idea, if you will entertain that idea for a brief period of time, you can see how just believing in something can like create some type of reality in a different sphere. Now this, Vimey CTA 8 is taken into a completely different level, but the roots of it are, are there, you know? And so I found it a lot more approachable this time, just this idea, especially when you're dealing with like supernatural or beyond time, you know, like sure. like like Space Odyssey 2001 or something. Oh, sure. Like at the end of that movie where it, things are just getting weird, right? Yeah. It's almost like like what is thought, you know? Like thought is a form of creation in and of itself, right? right. Like like creativity, that's what they, you know, your thoughts can create. And so it's not that weird. It's just not that weird, guys. It's not that weird. I know it sounds weird and I probably <laughs> did the worst job ever explaining it, but it's not as super awful as like My Little Pony Friendship is Magic, this is just a little kid's game. There, there is something deeper there and it's just you gotta, you gotta really look for it. So we're derailing <laughs> big time here but I just wanna ask a question in regards to this to kinda yeah. tie it around because it, it is a really interesting point. Yeah. And um, there's definitely like some truth to like perceived reality versus like yes, objective, objective reality. Which may right? not really even exist but yeah. Right, because nobody can. Anyway, like you know, I mean, you know, if we stretch this far enough, you can't just believe hard enough that you can jump to the moon and get there. You know it's, what I mean? There are limitations. There's, there's laws You're of right. nature you can't overcome just by thinking they exactly. Are that is than they that are, is correct. Right? Yeah, that is correct. Obviously, there's some line to, in the sand somewhere, but but yes. on perceived reality, on yeah. our understanding of reality, that can change and be created by right. whoever wants to like lead the narrative. So but I, what I'm not sure about- Allow your imagination to stretch that a little bit. <laughs> what I'm not sure about is whether you can think your way out of a black hole. <laughs> I know, that's a little, that's, that's something, isn't it? <laughs> whether you can believe your what way out of a black hole. What else can you do though? Like what else can you do? What else can you do is die, which but, is probably what would thing. happen. Well, here's the thing though, <clears throat> and we're gonna talk about some of the fan theories later. Kay. When we say <laughs> die, you probably know where I'm going with yes. this. But, but 
I mean, people probably know where I'm going. I don't even know if I need to say it. What if everyone did die because time compression literally killed everyone and the only existence is whatever your, your the last electrical firings of your brain can consider to be reality uh, made up this story. Like, you know, there's a Civil War story about a guy who gets, he's, he's being hung on a bridge, right? Yeah. But he has this dream that the rope breaks and he falls into the river and he starts swimming away and they're all shooting at him, they're all trying to kill him and he's getting away and he made it all the way out. A miraculous escape, one in a million. And then his, his, his dream slowly starts to fade and the end of the story is the rope didn't break, he de he's dead. He died. That was just his brain kind of in its last moments kind yeah. of creating a new reality of what was happening you, you other are, than what actually happened, right? So if everyone just died, but this is like the weird misfirings of a brain dreaming its last dream uh, through death, then then maybe the Squall is Dead theory can have a little <laughs> more weight in Final Fantasy VIII. It just happens later than people assume it happened. It happened during time compression. Everything's gone, but this is a dream. Rather than I'm not saying this is what <laughs> happened, by the way. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that if you're having a hard time, which, okay, we've talked about this before as well, but the, it could be a way of looking at things to, to make a little bit of sense. Squall is dead, you subscribe to Squall is dead? <laughs> I do not, I do not, because it, it, it works for me to some extent. But yeah. there is always the chance that that's what we're seeing. Sure. Okay. I'm sorry, that was... No, that was, I think it was great. I think people are going to enjoy that. <laughs> you better enjoy it, because there's not that much left to talk about. <laughs> Good, I mean, we're approaching the end of the game uh, here. So... I didn't take that many notes in the no. actual like end game. I kind of just I didn't like, either. I kind of just got through it and it was just kind of like, oh, stuff's happening. And it was cool. It felt a bit tedious, you know, going through the mansion and everything and like yeah. the the pictures on the wall and kind of interpreting what was there. I mean, that, yeah. that was cool. It was kind of a cool final dungeon. Yeah. Um, but before that, I the only the only thing I really took note of is more about Cipher. Um, oh, so yeah. when you go back to the Lunatic Pandora and you initiate sort of like the end game sequence, right? Um, you, ah, you go well, you through the Adele. Lunatic Pandora right. and you fight Adele and Cypher first and then yeah, you yeah. go through time compression yeah, yeah. and go to Ultimisha's castle. Because you send her back and then like immediately time compression's happen. Yeah, it begins. Yeah. And, then, and then you swim through time compression and you arrive at Ultimisha's castle <coughs> and uh, you know, fight and kill her. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, did you get Odin? In your playthrough? Yes, they're at that weird island at the facility kind of place, and you got to go yeah. down like a bunch of levels. I hate the Odin Summit. I hated, oh, I okay, I see what you're saying. The Odin Summit. Yeah, yeah. It is so annoying. Yeah. Um, it's the way that it works. I mean, like <coughs> Final Fantasy VII or any other Final <coughs> Fantasy I can think of, you summon Odin like any other summon. You go into the freaking summons and you select Odin, and yeah. you're like, please kill everyone on the map for me. And, and it has like a 50% chance of instant death or something right, like right. that. That's generally how Odin works. Mm. In this game, that is not the case. Odin is not a GF that you uh, junction. He just shows up randomly sometimes and kills everything for you. And I wonder if it's because it's like late, it's very late in the game when you would be getting Odin. I guess you could get him earlier, I suppose. I think I got I him didn't. somewhere in the, I got him somewhere around when you first get the garden, you can fly it around. And oh shoot, I didn't get him too. Yeah, I got him way early. Like late game. Okay, yeah. well maybe my so, assumption is so incorrect then. The reason why that's annoying, anytime you introduce an element of randomness, yeah. I will yeah. tell you as a game creator, stop what you're doing. Stop doing it. Punch yourself in the face, <laughs> stop. Do not 
introduce randomness yeah. if you can if you if there's any possible way to avoid right. it. Because it when I don't want Odin to show up, mm. which is when I'm farming for a certain right. item that I'm trying to steal and you're just from an enemy a bunch of nothing. or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I, I, whatever it is. I'm fighting this enemy for a reason. I mm. finally encountered it because oh the gosh. random encounters, maybe it's a low chance of reaching. Did this, this really enemy. happen? Yes. Oh my I was trying gosh, to fight Marlboros. I was trying to fight Marlboros uh-huh. in order to get a specific item because you right. need that uh, with this in conjunction with the Solomon's ring to get a GF. There's okay. a GF that you can only get this way. Mm-hmm. So you have to fight Marlboros, you have to steal from them to get certain items. Okay. And it's like you fight, I don't know, ten battles and maybe one in ten battles you get a Marlboro. Mm. Marlboro. It's a really hard word to say. Yeah. And Odin would keep killing them. That sucks. <laughs> It's like, yes, Marlboro, finally. And then Odin would come up and just fetch and kill it. Like, I don't want you here. Go away. (laughs) I never want you. Not one time ever Mm. in my entire playthrough of FFA have I ever wanted Odin to do anything. Don't get Odin. Get the fetch out of here. Don't get Odin, people. Get out. (laughs) Never get Odin again. But Odin is useless. You 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 sought in your arrogance to control the gods. Yeah. And and you couldn't you can't do that. So I hate (laughs) Odin, that's the point. So when you fight Cypher, if you have Odin in the party. Mm. Odin will try to attack Cypher, and Cypher kills him. <laughs> Cypher kills Odin, wow. which is freaking crazy. <laughs> but I was very happy. I was like, yes! Yes, Odin is dead! But yeah, what ends funny. up happening is that Odin just kind of like, you essentially just swap Odin out for the Gilgamesh summon. Because oh, then yeah, Gilgamesh comes down and finishes off Cypher. That's kind of mm. like the end of the battle or whatever. So anyways... I just wanted to throw that as a total caveat. I hate Odin, <laughs> but I think it might be the only way you can get Gilgamesh. Hmm. But and then I never saw Gilgamesh after that, so what does it really matter? I don't know. Um, whatever. The fight with Cypher, though, and more importantly, the scene with Cypher, that, Cypher that was before this. Earlier in our podcast, I, I, I mentioned how much I liked Cypher on this right. playthrough. Yeah. That was true through disc one and the very beginning of disc two. <laughs> uh, after that... I think they really dropped the ball with Cypher. Really? Because Cypher doesn't mm-hmm. really do anything. Right. Past the torture scene, you don't you don't see Cypher. He doesn't He's just the pre-boss to fighting the he's boss. He's the pre-boss yeah. to fighting the boss yeah. at the end of disc two. And three. And at the end of disc three. Yeah. That's about it. That's about it. So they don't really yeah. do anything thematically with his relationship to Renoa or his rivalry with Squall. Yeah. That's true. That's it doesn't true. really missed, missed amount to anything. Yeah. Um, I like the scene for the Fujin and Raijin part of it. Mm-hmm. Where they try to Me be too. like, yo, we can't keep following you with this, man. We, right. This isn't right. Like, please, we just want you to go back to being the old Cypher, the, you know, our friend. We're mm-hmm. going to always be a posse, but we can't follow you down the path you're going. Right. Kind of the knight role. Yeah, that they were actually about. trying to actually help him. I really like yeah. the scene for that reason. Because I thought it was so cool that the whole game, I think it's Raijin, no, Fujin. Fujin's the girl. Fujin's who, the girl, who I think. Yells yeah. one yeah. word answers all the yes. time. She actually talks. Like yes, a, more a, words. A legitimate yeah. speech. A full sentence. Yeah. And she actually, like, yeah. normal, uncapped letters, tries to reach Cypher and talk right. to him. Which you would assume was very uncomfortable for Fuji yeah. because she doesn't do that. It shows. There's it, a reason she doesn't talk about it. It's so cool that they set her up as this trope character yeah. and then broke the trope yeah. in a moment, like you're saying, where she's being vulnerable. Yeah. Where it like, really means something to her to say this, right? Mm-hmm. And Squall just says, 
now screw you, bye then. Right. And that, that, the bad, that on top of what he does to Renoa after this, yes, make him pretty that was... irredeemable to me. Yeah. I could not get with it. I could not sympathize at all with him at this point. Yeah. And I really wish that they had given Cypher more screen time post yeah. disc one and beginning of disc two mm. to help us understand how, how, where his mentality right. is at this point. Because without understanding it, we just assume he's lost his humanity and he's just kind of yeah. totally gone off the deep end. And I don't know. It's just, a, it's just a deplorable thing to do. It's so bad. You know what's dumb too is that in the, in the credits, or at the end, in the end scene mm-hmm. before the credits, when they show Cypher, it's supposed to be kind of an endearing moment yeah. where he, they're fishing, right? And it's, then um, it's so Raijin, unsatisfying. It's not at all. And also, he's still just a complete jerk because he's mad at his friends until they fall back in the ocean, and then he's happy. Mm-hmm. Ah, they just didn't really do much. His character didn't oh, go undergo a full arc. Like he went underwent the beginnings of an arc. And then he, it just never completed, and that's really unsatisfying. I kind of feel similarly to Cypher Endgame as I did to like Freya in Final Fantasy uh, IX, where yeah. they started something it really started strong. and it was going to be so good. And it was really going somewhere, and then they kind of just don't do yeah. anything with it. And it's almost like there's so many loose ends to tie up that they just, they just don't care to make the game super long and really go into all yeah. that. Like they've, they've, they set themselves up with too much exposition in so many different places. They just can't possibly actually bring it all in. Yeah. But for some reason they still set it up. Yeah. You know? Now, I talked about this in some addendum edits that I added into the last one yeah. that, I, that I uploaded to the main channel. Um, <clears throat> it's hard for me to know how we should judge Cypher. Because it isn't very clear what the, how what much of the manipulation happening to him is of a magical nature. Yes, and we talked about that a little bit, yeah. And like I was under the impression that he was more so and you thought it was maybe less so, but... So I went back and looked at some just, scenes. Yeah. And in, in the first scene where the sorcerer shows up and he's got President Delling and he's, he's yes. like holding... Yeah. Um, is it Delling? I think that's the president of Galbadia's name. He's holding the gun blade to him and he's like stuck and he has no, no way out. Yes. The room, like the newsroom there, there's like a purple haze or mist hmm. that is sort of like flowing in that room. I, I got the feeling that there was some magical influence. And when they leave, yeah. that mist goes away. You're mm, in the same right. room and the party right. is there but that mist is gone. Huh. And it's subtle. But she's like saying all this stuff to him and she's mm-hmm. like, wave goodbye to your friends and to your childhood and to your past. And he sort of walks almost trance like up to Squall and company. It seems like and he waves chance, like yeah. this. And then he follows her into the like portal. Right. And it seems a little bit like he's being magically yeah. manipulated somehow. Yeah. It feels that way to me. Mm. But how long does that continue? Because Idea stops being the sorceress at yes, some point. Yes, and he's still... Like that. He's and ulti- still doing ultimish- that. Is Ultimicia hmm. continuing that or not? It's hard to say hmm. because when Renoa bends down to Cypher at the end of Desk 2 and she like whispers, yeah. like, go get the lunatic Pandora, and he stands up almost trans-like still, and he's like, yes, sorceress, and it yeah, walks away. It's, it feels like it could be. But but it doesn't make sense to be because is not doing it, and then um, Renoa's not doing it, and, and Adele's out in space still. And so it would have to be Ultimicia coming from the future to just continually always be like on his shoulder behind him 
controlling him. So it's and like I don't know if that's the case, but it's like how much of this or how much of a mixture of the two yeah. is it that he's being magically manipulated or that he's just being persuaded because of his childhood yeah. dream. He's buying into it because <coughs> he wants to live out the dream. And it's hard to know clear. it's hard to know how much blame to lay on his shoulders. Because right. if it's over here and it's just he just bought into his childhood dream. It was just something mm-hmm. that came at the right opportunity and he just fell into it and he just decided to stick with it to the end because he felt it was he went too far and he couldn't go back. Then he's a jerk. He's awful. <laughs> he's terrible. He's awful. He's evil. Yeah, he's evil. He 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 uh, condoned the the missile strike on Balam. Right. He gave uh, Renoa to Adele to be mm-hmm. merged into like a single being. Yeah. And this like, like a grotesque like that was pretty screwed messed up thing. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of stuff that's like super messed and up. And he has no remorse. He never shows any remorse. For never anything. shows remorse. Anything. For it. At, not one time. And so. I guess my whole point is this isn't the cipher that clapped for Squall when, no, when he became exactly. a Exactly. It's a different person. Yes. So. And uh, and if okay, if it is he's being magically manipulated, that needs to be more clear. If it is that he has sort of that's how it started but over time he has sort of just accepted that role, I mm. would have liked to see the evolution. Yeah. I would have liked to see the moments that. that he sort of degrades in his arc. Yeah. Right? Like where he sort of becomes this evil villain person. Right. And if that's the case, it's very unsatisfying that he gets away and gets to go fishing with his friends in the end. And, and then nothing in, happens. In the end, he's still just like a jerk. There's and, no consequence. Yeah, yeah. There's no, nothing amounts. Mm. There's, there's nothing that happens. That's not to say that in real life, evil people don't get away with things. It's to say mm. that we're telling a story here. What is it that we're trying to say exactly. with, with Cypher, with this character? And what anagram, you know, what... Uh, not anagram, but what parallel are we mm. drawing to uh, you know some kind of theme or moral or whatever in right. the real world? What are we trying to say with this character? Yeah, and it feels like it kind of ends up being that they're nothing. saying nothing. They're saying nothing. Yeah, which is like why I'm confused as to why so many people felt that the intro sequence with setting up Squall and Cipher's rivalry was so important mm, to the story I somehow. I don't get why people feel that way. This right. is not Final Fantasy Tactics or something where Ramza and Delita's relationship is like the key theme to mm. the whole story working. It's like the crux. It's like Delita and Ramza are like, that's what the story is, mm-hmm. really. That's not the case for like Cypher Squall at mm. all. So I was just really disappointed in how and how what they do with Cypher in the end of the story. Well, the way that he's included in that ending cinematic, it makes you think that at least the directors of the game want you to think that Cypher's a good person. Yeah. Right. That in, in a weird way, think, yeah. I didn't like it. But the fact that he's included in that at all. That he makes it out, it's okay. It's like, yeah, he's you, okay. You feel, you're supposed to be okay and with he's this. having fun with his friends, yeah. And it would... Um, so, so to that end, we can kind of infer what the artist's intent was. Mm. It was to have a full arc character that you came to understand by the end. Yeah. And, and so now, now that we understand what their intent was, we can criticize sure. <laughs> and say whether it worked or not. And I don't, I don't believe it worked by the yeah. end. I didn't like it. Yeah. Um, so anyways, after that, you fight Adele. Um, I kind of like how, you know, Renault is merged with her. So if you attack, 
Renoa, and yeah. Renoa dies, it's a game over. Right. So you have to just hit the Adele, <laughs> just the single target spells, or like you can't multi-target yeah. spell. You have to be careful not to hit yeah, Renoa, the, or, the else, all, yeah. or else, uh, <clears throat> or else you'll get a game over. So there's yeah. like there's a, an HP bar for Renoa that's separate from <laughs> yeah. Adele. That was kind of a cool moment. And then yeah, the time compression begins, and you fight all those different sorceresses yep. from all the different like time periods. It's kind of like showing all this, mm. all of time is being compressed into a singular moment. Right. It's kind of cool. Um, you get to Ultimatius Castle as a final dungeon. I kind of liked it. It's it's unique. It's interesting. I, I like it. I always like it when they split a party into two. Yeah, and this party yeah. has to do this thing, and this party has to do this thing. Yeah, well, uh, you have to lower the. Uh, anyways, yeah, that's that's. Fine. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, and the, the final boss, Ultimatia, is a pretty good final boss. Yeah. I especially like the design of the ultimate the version final form. of Ultimatia. Like the scorpion looking? With the, the, like the hollow well, like, face. Yes, yeah. And that one, those that was huge, creepy. like almost like, like antlers. Yeah, and weird, it's a cool final boss yeah. design. I really like it. I'll probably use it. Creepy. I'll probably use it on the thumbnail for this really? one. Because <laughs> it's just a cool design. I really like it. Huh. But... Um, in any case, you, you defeat her, and, and then you know this. Everyone's trying to figure out how to escape yeah. from time compression, and my interpretation, at least, is that Renoa and friends are able to sort of recover each other, bring each other back yeah. into existence, return to their own time. Timeline is recovered. Compression stops, and this is all kind of seen in that final little video, yes, camcorder video, video sequence. Which I really like. I want to talk about that later. Yeah, yeah no, talk about it now, because well. I want to talk about it later. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I, we got we got to figure the thing out. So cuz Squall, what I found fascinating is that everyone kind of figured out where to go. Yeah. But Squall can't he can't be there with everyone else. He needs somebody, he needs help, right? And, and mm-hmm. that's kind of the th- central theme of the game. But he does go there. He's just in the wrong time because this is when he goes and sees his younger self. And this yeah. is when he goes and sees uh, Matron get the sorceress power passed on to her. Um, so he thought of the place, but he he has too many memories at that place. Like mm-hmm. Renoa can think of that place, and she's only been there since she's known Squall, as far as we know. And so she can be there in an easier way. Squall has so many memories tied to that place that when he thinks of it, he ends up going to a different point in time, a mm-hmm. different place, and he ends up experiencing something you know super different. And then he gets lost again. Um, yeah, but either way, Renoa you know shows up to help him out and to rescue him basically. And I really liked Eyes on Me. I liked the song at the mm, end of the game. Mm-hmm. Like it works so well at the end, yeah. uh, the vocalized track, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so as it relates to the home video, that's when you see uh, Idea and Sid mm-hmm. together, which was huge. Zell is freaking hilarious. <laughs> like, what was, I had, finally gets his hot dogs and he's freaking <laughs> he choking on them. way too many of them. <laughs> then he gets mad at everyone else and like, why are you filming me? He gets so mad. Um, but we don't, um, you know, the question mark is Squall and Renault, and there's like an ending credits scene. There's like a yeah, scene well, after. The, the, yeah, so the, the credits, credits are going on through this whole camcorder yeah. sequence, right? And then it kind of seems like it's fading away, and Renault is and out, Renault, on, the, and it's out on the balcony. Yeah. yeah, it's a battery, right? And it's like she's out on the balcony talking to someone. Yeah. But the camcorder's battery goes out before you can find out who it's it like, is. Oh man, oh, don't worry, they'll show you. Then yeah, <laughs> they use that as a kind of a transition out of camcorder and into just cinematic, you know. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Squall's there and he's there with Renoa, and this is the first like, so Squall. I don't know if this is a good time to bring up kind of what I 
thought of before to talk about here. Um, but Squall doesn't interact much with Renoa, just the two of them, outside of that place where he's like, I'll be, I'll be waiting here for you. Um, and right when he rescues her, basically ever since he finally has made up his mind and he's like decided what he's doing and after he breaks her out of prison, right? And they talk a little bit, but not like very much, right? Mm-hmm. This is the first time that they're comfortable, that he's like super comfortable around her other than, you know, when they were like, hey, I'll meet you here. Um, I felt like it was really good. Um, it was really powerful. Um, Eyes on Me is is Julia, right? That's Julia's Julia song wrote about song Laguna. About Laguna. But so much of it kind of is relevant to Squall and Renoa as yeah, well. Yeah, it's like that, that love... That love that never came to be, right, right, is sort of like realized in their children. In them, yeah, exactly. Because uh, Laguna went on to marry Rain, right. and Rain and Laguna's son is Squall. Right. Uh, Julia went on to marry General Carraway. Carraway, that was it. Their daughter was Renoa. Yeah. So it's like this love that she lost, or Julia, I mean, yeah. lost, is sort of finds itself again in the next generation Yeah, kind of a deal. Yeah. And so I, my, my initial thinking is, well, I, mean, I know the history of the song, but still, it seems like it was written for them. But the fact that they're singing a song about Laguna and Julia, you know, at this point, like you just mentioned, it can still have some significance, but I almost wonder if that song was, you know, this game was supposed to be half Laguna, half Squall. Yeah. And I almost feel like that song, like they liked it, so they kept it, but it was meant more Could for Laguna than Squall. Could have possibly more for Laguna than Yeah. Squall. Maybe, um, but it, but it fits for both. Like well, it really I, I does do work think, for both. I do think Oimatsu has said in interviews that Aizomi was written for Squall and Renoa, but but I mean in the in the game okay. world, I mean, it feels that way. Julia wrote it for Laguna. For Laguna, but so. Nobuo Oimatsu non diegetically. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. Okay. Anyways, um, that song is is very it's very good, and it it you know kind of fits. There's a few things she says like um, your your face that is never down, and it's yeah. like hey that doesn't fit Squall as much. Yeah, um, but it could fit Renoa. Oh, true. That's true. That's true. Because like uh, Laguna was They're the kind of reversed. was kind of the um, that's true the real emotional like. Uh, uh, Lively one, yeah, and Julia was the more the serious in love girl, yeah, and and, and Rain was that way too. Rain was the real serious, yeah, yeah, person in that relationship, and Laguna was. Well, yeah, the real we see that too. We see um, Laguna remembering some past memory of when he and Rain got married. Yeah, that was so. It's like cinematic. Squall's personality more mirrors Rain or Julia's. Yeah, and Renoa's personality more mirrors Laguna's. Yeah, that makes sense. It's kind of a reversal. Okay, so then it would be about the other, and then that then it fits perfectly. But yeah, you finally do see that Squall's there on the on the balcony. Yeah, they share a kiss as the yes. the camera pans away, yeah. pans pulls out <laughs> um, into the distance, and the the garden flies, and you see them. It's in, beautiful. In the moon. It's, it's great, really cool. great final shot. <laughs> and then at the end, I love how they say the end, and it's like a 1930s black and white yeah. silent, 1920s black and white silent film. And it's like the end with the little designs mm-hmm. and uh, Final Fantasy VIII. Yep. And uh, that was, I guess, a throwback to um, Laguna's movie. But Yeah, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. So that's the whole game. That's the There whole it game. is. We've made it to the end of the game. And so. I really, really, really did like the game. What would you say upon this playthrough was mm. Final Fantasy VIII's greatest strength mm. and its greatest weakness? How would you wrap those two things up? I think the greatest strength was um, the the characters, just in general. Um, the character development. 
I was very, and this is something that I, I, I may as well just talk about it now. I was very critical in the last episode about uh, Squall and his character development and how I felt as though when he was rescuing Renault the first time out in outer space that we had gotten this, this incredible character development in Squall. But then as soon as they get to the Ragnarok, he just immediately goes back, back to what he was, right? And I think I understand why they did that now because I've thought about this a lot since. Yeah. And it makes sense, but it's, it's all about keeping the characters as consistent as they can, right? And they did such a good job with the characters. And like if, if for instance, because I think it all comes down to um, uh, Squall does not hug Renoa when she has to be hugged. That actually made me upset. <laughs> like, I was mad. Yeah. And it made me not like Squall. And it also made me not want to like Squall. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because the, um, the stakes of that scene were just so high. Yeah. To have the culmination of this high-stakes situation, not just in, you know, the planet being destroyed in Adele's return but also saving this girl's life who was floating out in the middle of nowhere and who this guy has spent days trying to like revive from death and and to have it result in him being like I don't I'm not going to hug you you crazy <laughs> like what's that all about and, but I I've thought about it so much more since then and I actually think that there's there is some weird beauty to be found here because one of the things that I try to do is see if um Find out, like like what you've been doing with the intro, how could it have been better? Sure. Right? And my initial thought was, oh, just have him hug have him hug her when she has to be hugged. Yeah. That was my obvious response, right? Or have him change the autopilot to avert and to, not do yeah, the thing. Try to not take her down. But I immediately found there are two huge problems with both of those. Mm. <laughs> he can't just hug her after that. He can't do it. Yeah, and he's not ready. There are so he's many reasons for it. Yet. And remember what we what you mentioned before in disc, or, uh, I think episode two, Squall doesn't even shake people's hands. Nope. He what, he refuses every single time. And so here's somebody who wants a hug, and in the moment, Squall will do it. I feel as if they didn't if they didn't have the spacesuits when he rescued her, that was a hug waiting to happen. It was mm-hmm. gonna happen. Nothing was gonna stop it from happening, right? Mm-hmm. Because that was the moment, those were the emotions, that's what he was feeling, and it was gonna happen. But they, they created a world where they have to have spacesuits. Yeah. And they I mean they mirrored our world where you have to have a spacesuit. Otherwise the stakes wouldn't have been as high because if she was floating out in space but she didn't need a spacesuit because the world doesn't need suits, then she's not gonna die. Like, gonna die. That means she can breathe and she'll down. she'll yeah. find her way back eventually, something. And so they had to have spacesuits on to keep the stakes high, but then you can't have your incredible pinnacle moment be a hug with spacesuits on. Yeah. With the thing. That's why Renoa says, oh, now the spacesuits are off. Let's they were have in a hug. the way. Right? Yeah, they were in the way before. But the moment is over. The moment has passed. They're already now looking for what to do next now, right? Mm-hmm. So he can't hug her, but she has to ask for the hug. Because I was like, well, maybe she doesn't need to ask for the hug. Mm-hmm. No, she has to because she's been asleep this whole time. Yep. What did she do right before she fell asleep, before the battle with Idea? During a massive battle, she was like, hey, Squall, I made a new ring and we have matching rings. Isn't that cool? <laughs> That's what she was doing during this crazy situation right before she fell asleep. As far as she knows, she just woke up. She's you know? been trying real hard up to that point to yes. like, see if there can be something 
yes. that can bloom between them. She's flirting <laughs> and, hardcore. And literally, as far as she knows, she fell asleep, woke up, and Squall is like there. You know, he's like loving her. And so, um, and that's assuming she wasn't super conscious while she was being taken over. I, she may have been to some extent, but for the most part, she was just passed out, right? Yeah. And so she hasn't had character development the way Squall has because her character hasn't really changed. Yeah. Um, and so she has to ask for a hug. Like she needs to make this moment romantic in her own mind that she has to do it. So you can't have her not ask for a hug. But Squall can't give her that hug because you already missed the opportunity for the pinnacle romantic moment. You yes. missed it because they were wearing spacesuits. You can't yes. have that be the romantic moment. Squall needs to save her and she needs to fall into his arms as he saves her in an right. epic moment of maximum impact. The right? sorceress memorial scene. Yes, that yes. scene. And see, but last time we talked, I made the mistake. I said the, the pinnacle is the Ragnarok cockpit scene. But I'm wrong. The pinnacle is actually the memorial scene. Yes. But me assuming because they played the song and it just seemed like that was the moment. Mm -hmm. But the moment is when he saves her, not the first time with the spacesuit, but when his, his character arc isn't done yet. It's yes. still moving because he learned how to deal with his own emotions, but he has not yet learned how to deal with his own emotions, including a living, breathing I person. would say he became aware of the problem with his emotions. Okay, sure. But he had not... Yet he had crossed not yet the threshold actually, of actually being yes. able to open up yet. So he could admit it to himself, yes. but he still doesn't want to talk about it yes. to other people yes. like who are listening, you know? That, and so I, We talked about <laughs> that. I don't know how long my explanation was to try to explain what you just said in one sentence, I, but that is it. <laughs> and you, it's so funny because I spent 30 minutes explaining my yeah. position and you were doing yours and it makes sense, but I just needed to, I just needed to understand that he could not hug her then because that was the moment that soured me. Yes. I'm okay with the cockpit scene. I'm even okay with her being like, I guess she has to go to prison. I don't like it, but I don't know what else to do. Yes. I'm, I'm okay with that. It's the fact that she, he refused to hug yes. a helpless girl who for days he he's been trying to revive. couldn't emotionally handle it. He couldn't it do it. Yes. But he could have in space when it happened. Yes. He could have done it. Yes. But it's like once it's been a while and then, okay, now take off your suits. Okay, now let's hug. Ah, it's not feeling the it, moment anymore. It doesn't anymore. feel organic. It yeah. feels forced. It's, and, and he now, starts reverting in again. Me personally, yeah, I would have hugged her. But the, yeah. we're, we're understanding the character. Yes. Right? And, and Squall, yeah, he's, he's gone back into himself. He's retreated a little. And my initial thought was they just erased all the character development that they had done up to that point. But what I see now is that his development just wasn't done yet. Yes. You need to be patient with Final Fantasy VIII. <laughs> and this is a lot of, because a lot of people had criticisms where I did. But this is, the, the actual pinnacle is when he actually really saves her. Because yes. you may think that he just saved her in the spacesuit, but she's still, the sorceress thing is still a problem. It's still a problem. It's still, and there she's is not, no resolution to that yet. yet. She's not out of the woods yet. So he hasn't completely saved her yet. So anyways, this is long-winded, but I'm coming around to what you were saying in that podcast because it actually does make more sense. And in the story, I'm sure that there were writers who were like, why is Squall not hugging? And Katase or somebody would have said, no, they cannot hug until that moment. It would yeah. devalue the moment where they finally come together in, mm -hmm. those in the memorial. In the memorial. Yeah. If Squall was let it down and just gave her a hug whenever she asked for it, yeah. right then. And that's why even when he knew that she was going to be taken hostage, he, he or uh, taken prisoner, he kneels down next to her, but he still doesn't 
like completely give himself yeah. up yet, right? Yes. He's not ready yet. Yes. And he does become ready, but he needs his friends help to convince yes. him. Anyways, Which is all part all of the, you stuff. have to have friends. He needs it. You yes. need people. And he doesn't right? even just need the girl. He needs other people other than just the girl to be, to yes. help him out he to needs realize himself. The whole group. He needs friends. He needs her. He needs it others. It all comes together. And yes. So I was thinking, if if we if he set the auto if he canceled autopilot and then they this was their ship now and they just started going around and yeah. then we miss this memorial moment yeah. and you need that moment because otherwise you just have the the space suit moment and that's not good enough for yeah. for pinnacle romanticism that's not good enough and that's what we're looking for we're looking for the the peak of what this can be and then it's not good enough if he just hugs her because it devalues what then comes later and it kind of it's it's not where he's at and. And then also, what was the other one? Oh, and she has to ask for it. Anyways, there's so many things that come together, and I kept trying to think, oh, what if this was different? And basically, my conclusion is the way it was done is the way it needed to be. Yeah. And that's hard, and a lot of people out there <laughs> who think like I do or did, Yeah. there's a lot of people who don't like Final Fantasy VIII because of Squall and Renault's relationship. Sure. There, it, you do have to be patient with Squall, and that is just a fact. He is, he is not easy, easily manipulated or motivated or anything. He needs to do things on his own time. And it, that does require patience on Renault's part and on your part, the game player. But there is, the payoff does come. But the, my issue, I guess, I just got soured when he wouldn't hug her, because who, yeah. who wouldn't do that? Right. That's, that's, but that's just me. That's the know. divisive element of Squall, is yes, very those divisive. who are like him yeah. get it. And those right. who are not can't understand the coldness. It was hard. It's hard to yeah. understand or like him. Yeah. Uh, I get him, I guess, just intuitively. And so So the writers <laughs> may have I wouldn't even say they made a mistake. They just made a choice yeah. to write a character that that half of all people will not understand ever. Yes. Forever unless they really Which is like why what I do. Unless they, they made really dive Laguna. into the analysis. This is why Laguna exists. But then in the they story. took out Laguna for but the most of the movie. You're right. <laughs> story. That's beautifully Anyways. said. Okay, so well done. I just wanted to throw that out there now. I have come around on my thinking um, to what Mike was saying, and I was probably a little bit too overly critical. I still think the lunar, t the lunar cry didn't need to be a laser. It could have just been a drop, right? Like, yeah. that makes sense, a tear. It could have just been a drop yeah. of monsters and it that been, splashes on the surface. And there was someone who brought up... still There was somebody who brought up something that... I thought it was an interesting. I thought. saw the comment like, like ten 12, or twelve monsters, like bosses, like big ones. Yeah, yeah, like almost like uh, weapons from Final Fantasy yes. VII or something. Yeah, if it was that instead of billions, billions. of monsters, <laughs> it, it, it might. I, I feel like they just be set more the renderable. Too high. It might be more renderable on the world map. You could yeah. visually show yeah. the impact these things are having. Because you might world. be saying, "Oh, why try to minimize what was an otherwise really cool scene?" Yeah. But it's like you've got to deliver. You can't just promise, 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 and not deliver. You have yeah. to make your delivery live up to the promise. And the promise can't be too big if you aren't capable of delivering that. Big. Right. You just you just shouldn't do that. And to some extent, I felt that with Squall, too. I was like, they promised a character development in him. Where is it? He won't hug her? I didn't get that. Mm. But he can't. Anyways, I just can't emphasize that enough. As much as I tried to think my way around it, he could not have done it at that moment. Because even if he did break down and hug her, or if he was, if he was, his character was fully developed now and he was no longer like that, then the line that you uh, mentioned in the last podcast where she predicts what he, when he's going to say whatever. Yeah. His whatever saying would be done. He wouldn't be saying that to her if his character development arc Had was full. Finished, yeah. And you would have missed that moment yeah. as well 
uh, her still understanding how he's thinking and he's still holding back from her. He still doesn't want to tell her things. Yeah. So you would have missed all that if we decided to do things a different way. So, and it would have just changed too many things. It would have made it slightly less impactful at the end. So I wanted to throw that in there because I feel like that is a, a moment, a hinge moment in the game that a lot of people do or don't like. Disc three, just in general. And that is, um, there is tremendous value to be seen there if, if you're not seeing it. What's awesome about this is yeah. that you, who were the critic of the scene before, just defended it about a million times better than I did as the advocate for the scene last time. <laughs> I've had a month to think about it, though. You were, on, you were trying to think on your toes. I have had a month to think about this, you know? All right. So, um, oh, yeah. Getting back to greatest strength and oh, weakness. Oh, yes. Greatest strength characters is characters. and character development. Character development. Massively what do you think done. is the greatest weakness of the game? Uh, greatest weakness, ah, that's a good question. I would just say um, the, in some ways, the over, like unfinished plot lines, unfinished exposition, um, over-promising in certain ways and under-delivering under in the end. They did not do that in characters, yeah. which is why it's so good. But they did do that in so many other elements of this game. It, yeah. the, the promises were up there and the delivery was um, not. Yeah. And so, yeah. So for me, I would say, similarly, my favorite aspect or the part that I thought was the strongest was character dynamic. Like yeah. the way these characters Interact with played each other. with yeah. each other. The character play within scenes. Mm -hmm. Laguna and Ward and Kiros or yes. Squall and yeah. Zell and Selfie. Like any, yeah. any combination, there, there, there was just great stuff happening. Yeah. Funny, sad, yep. romantic, uh, urgent. Mm -hmm. It was just like I was always engaged with the characters yeah. all the time. Yeah, me too. And I feel like I knew them really well. Yeah, the way that they played off of each other just made for really dynamic, interesting scenes. So I really, really love that about Final Fantasy VIII. I think its greatest weakness is that it hides almost all of its hints around the plot instead mm -hmm. of inside it. It's too yeah. vague and, it, and it, it relies on you searching the info section in the menu it relies uh, on you talking. the, what's the Ultimania book? Or, the Ultimania yeah. book. It relies <coughs> on talking to every NPC multiple times. Yes, yeah. To try and like Through find, each disc, yeah. To find all the answers. Yeah. Now, some people will consider that a strength. I mm. admit this is just my own feeling. It's just my own kind of subjective feeling on style, right? Mm. Some people like it because you can play the game again and again and again and find new tidbits that open up your understanding of more and more and more. This is what, yeah. uh, we've played the game multiple times. This is like my fifth playthrough of it. You know, we could probably do another whole podcast series about Final Fantasy VIII again. And, and it'll be just as long. all kinds of new things yeah, the next yeah. time that we didn't this time. Yeah. That is a very valid reason for people to appreciate doing it this way. Yeah. I just find it frustrating because yeah. I think that most people aren't going to do that. Most no. people are not going to play the game twice or three times or five yeah. times. They're going to play it yeah. once, and they're going to come up with their opinion yep. on their first impression of it. And if it's not good, they won't have a reason to play it again. Right. 
right? They'll dismiss it. They're not yeah. finding the great meat that is there. This is a very good game. Because it's hidden too yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, a lot of their yeah. audience, it's lost. It goes yeah. over their head. Even the people who love it, which is most of the audience watching this podcast, yeah. they're saying, I never knew that. I had no idea. This is changing my whole perspective. Like, uh, you know, like, I, I could not I'm believe... I'm seeing that in the comments, yeah. ...all of these things that yeah. it's it's given me a new appreciation So many people are saying, game. wow, I should pick this game up again. Yeah, I want to play it again. that's the whole point. I think depending on what our next game ends up being that we analyze, if it ends up being Mass Effect, it'll be interesting to look at how it's, it uses its codec for world building yeah. versus how <coughs> Final Fantasy VIII used its info menu yeah. or how maybe Final Fantasy XIII uses its, uh, what do they call them in that? Oh, I just fetch, I, I forgot. I don't remember thirteen. Anyways, the... The, the journal entries that like, you, basically the whole story is like in those instead of like yeah, in the cutscenes. Yeah. Um, but I just feel like um, it, it, the, the story, and what I think solidifies my feeling on this is that there's so many people in our comments section mm-hmm. who are saying, holy cow, this has really changed my perspective yeah, like on Final I Fantasy I had VIII. no idea. I yeah. have learned to appreciate it so much more after the yeah, podcast. We're getting because tons of those. so many, I mean, I mean so many people miss these details. Yeah. It's just, if they had hidden those hints in the cutscenes and in yeah. the plot, instead of around it with NPC optional yeah. dialogue or in the info menu in the, in the tutorial section, I feel or like back at the computer in your in, classroom, in the computer which in the classroom. people may not think to yes. check. If yeah. they had not done that, then this game would have been not quite as divisive as it was. Yeah, I think so. I, I think feel like it I would have been true. more yeah. widely sort of accepted. I'm not saying it, it fixes all of its problems by yeah. any means, because it doesn't. But it, it solves a big one, which is most people just didn't understand yeah. what was going on. They didn't understand. They felt like the payoffs were not set up. And that mm-hmm. they came out of nowhere, and if they had just been set up better, I think the game would have been more well received. Yeah, so I think that's true. That's my uh, greatest strength and weakness of Final Fantasy VIII. So, for this last section, uh, as we wrap up our our, our podcast here on FF8, um, we're going to move into responding to a few comments. Now, before we do that, there have been a lot of people who have requested that we speak on some of the fan theories. Like Squall is like dead. Squall. We brought that up in episode one. So I ended briefly. Up, I ended up cutting that out. Oh, that's right. Of the version that went on the main channel. That's right. And I did that f- for because I agreed there was some criticism about how I went about talking about right. that. And I agreed that I was just probably too dismissive. Right. Right. I'm gonna I'm gonna explain why I am that way about fan theories in a minute, but. Mm. If I'm going to be that way, I might as well not talk about it, is probably the truth. Fair enough. Right? If we're not going to give it like a really thorough sort of like look, yeah. then we might as well not look at it. Sure. If we're just going to sit there and make fun of the thing, <laughs> we might as well not talk about it. I think you're right. So, um, <laughs> At the same time, though, we are, we're here to analyze the game, and the fan theories are peripheral. I mean, they're... That's how they're, I feel. They're there, but they're not integral to the game necessarily. Yes. So... Yeah. Here's the thing. <laughs> Here's just the honest truth. I am not saying that anybody out there who enjoys f- theory crafting and fan mm. theories, that you should feel bad about that, the fact that you will enjoy it or you get into it. Mm. There's a channel we used to watch a lot 
Um, I still watch him uh, a lot, uh, you know, from time to time. Uh, Final Fantasy Peasant. This yes, is, pre- peasant. This is pretty yeah, much yeah. what he his does channel a lot is. He does a lot of that. He yeah. does theory craft. It's the reading between the lines. Yeah. And he's really good at it. Yeah. Like, I would say, like, of all of the FF community people, like, I enjoy watching his videos, despite yeah. the fact that I don't even enjoy theory crafting. Because <laughs> right. I think he comes up with better explanations sometimes yeah. than the actual like writers of the story do. In particular with Final Fantasy XV. With XV specifically, he had some really he good He had some cool ideas yeah. and, and what he yeah. thought maybe they would do in DLC. Mm-hmm. But here's, oh, yeah. here's... Or what he thought was cut from the game. There's yeah. some theories about that too. Here's my core... My core problem with the whole, with just theory crafting in general, I watched the disappointment in his community when the DLCs came out or further explanation came out, and the explanation was so much less, like satisfying than what they had come up with, and and they were like, oh my gosh, like this is not as cool as what yeah. we had thought of, right? I I don't like to theory craft because. Square Enix and and a lot of um, people making movies or TV shows or whatever that open a lot of mysteries or making, you know, Mm -hmm. they tend to want to subvert expectations. And they are watching what you're talking about. And I think they very mistakenly make make them, they try, they see that you came to that conclusion and, and maybe there were great hints or setups to that being the case. Mm-hmm. But if too many people start getting on board with that, they can't surprise you anymore uh, by going that yes. direction. So they feel like yes. they have to try to do a different thing yeah. in order to surprise the audience because that's more important to them than just telling a good story with a satisfying resolution to this mystery. I think that this was true of Lost, the TV show. Um, And I think it's true of a lot of what we see in the Kitase-led Final Fantasy projects. There's a lot of mystery box type storytelling, vague on purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, I believe it was Tetsuya Nomura who who said in the, it's it's on the (coughs) DVD bonus features of the Japanese Advent Children release. Oh, yeah. He's, he talks about, um, and I, I don't have the quote in front of me, but basically like we're not trying to do like the Hollywood thing where they give you all the answers. Mm-hmm. We, and, and he alludes to the fact that they want the fans to talk about They want it. communities on forums yes, to, to ask to, questions and to dig. They are yeah. incentivizing yeah. theory crafting. But and then th- as yeah. soon as you come up with your cool theory, they're going to try to subvert it. <laughs> yes. To surprise you. And I think that it well, inherently th- leads to people being disappointed in the next yeah. part when right. it comes, or in the real explanation yeah. when it comes, right? Because it's usually not. How much energy goes yeah. into someone creating a Squall is Dead theory to have it be squashed when Katase says that was never in our minds and that's not the intention, that's totally wrong. Right. That's, that's a bad feeling. You're setting yourself up for being disappointed right. by putting that much energy into a really cool theory. So this is the major reason why I don't like to get into theory crafting myself mm-hmm. or into reading other fan fiction or fan theories. Um, because most of them are probably, I would say 99% of them are wrong. Ooh, and yes. they end up being. 
even if there is one or two out there that is really cool, I actually legitimately liked the one you came up with about time compression. I think that makes the story better, right? Yeah. So I can see why people yeah. cling to one. It's like, this makes the story better for me. I'm gonna accept this as my headcanon right. or whatever. That's fine. I'm not telling yeah, you totally. you're wrong for doing yeah, that. Yeah. I'm just saying I don't like doing it. Right. Long way of saying. We aren't gonna be talking about it. We're not gonna talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> because I don't want to be dismissive. Yeah. I don't want to don't want to make fun. Rain on anyone's parade. Yeah. And I don't want to just like basically just be a downer on it when this is a way for a lot of people mm. to legitimately enjoy the game more. Yeah. But I personally do not find either of those theories to make the game better for me. Right. If if Renoa is Ultimicia, I feel the game is made worse for it. <laughs> If Squall is dead, I think the story is made worse for it. Mm. That's my feeling on it. Um, if there is, I mean, a huge ask and demand in the comments of this video for us to talk about in it. In a separate video. We yeah. will consider doing one extra bonus episode strictly on the fan theories. And why they're wrong. I am <laughs> warning Just I you. No. <laughs> I'm warning you that that's going to be the conclusion we come to because I'm not convinced of them. I don't think that oh, they make geez. the story better. I don't think that they were intended. I know for a fact they weren't because Katasi said they weren't. Right. I don't, I, and, and I, it, I don't even think that they make the story, they don't fix the story's problems for me. Okay. Can, I don't can that be an okay answer for now? Can you guys accept that? Like I apologize, but like that's just not what I'm about. Go to Peasant. Peasant will give you all of that. And he's way better at it than I can be. I, he's no. way better at it than I can be. Go to mm. him. Go to people who like theory crafting. Uh, uh, whoever else. But I'm sorry that I can't be your theory crafting guy. I just can't. That's not who I am. <laughs> all right. Say something about no that? more. No more need okay. be said. Let's all right. move on. All right. So I want to read some comments here. <coughs> There's been some good stuff over the course of these videos. Um, this first one comes from uh, Levi uh, Whitley, looks like. Can you go away, please? I don't want you. Get out of here. All right. He says, a lot of your criticisms of the story deal with the characters making bad choices or acting childish. I think the choices and dialogue are pretty realistic given the characters' ages and also the target audience. Sure, it's a fantasy setting where mercenaries are trained in a school in their early teens, but I like that they still have certain immaturities because they are still adolescents. Why not make them all age 30 if you want them to have good plans or adult motivations? So I feel like, hmm. I feel like we kind of answered this, but maybe we weren't clear enough. So we've, we've given the caveat many, many times these are kids. Yes. So they're gonna be immature. One of the things that I, remember from early on is it felt like a kid wrote the yeah. script the story for this game right not so much just that they're acting like kids but that it felt like the story was written by children at that time not the whole thing like always. thought it all the way through yes just yeah. like oh this would be interesting let's throw this in there um that's not always the case but there are certain points where i think we did make that yeah uh, observation so, but there's still like the one place that i can think of where i just really can't meet you in the middle on this mm -hmm. is the the battle against Galbadia Garden because 
like I think we tried to make this point with like the soldiers who fought on on the beach and yeah, they and were like eighteen and nineteen. Those were young kids. Yeah, some kids were seventeen. They lied about their age in we're, order to get drafted. Yeah, we're not. Yeah. We cannot pretend that seeing a person get ripped apart by a fetching grenade or something is going to lead to you having a flirty romantic sequence thirty feet over here. Yeah, it's, it's just the romanticization not going of to war. happen. Yeah, like that scene where Squall and Renoa run past all those people dying in the fight, and then they sit there and they have like a five-minute mm-hmm. flirty conversation where she's like, "Oh, you know, like that's I I don't care <laughs> what age you are. I don't care yeah. if you're thirty or five or it does not matter no. that." has an effect on people. Right. Seeing that. Your friends, people that well, you know. When dying. a bomb goes off near you, not only do you feel the shockwave, it can like cause your hearing to go out. Like yeah. it, it's so shocking. It's it's a it's a bigger deal than than what they mean. It's it's like. it's, but, you know, it's not mean, even just an emotionally immature person is not going to just be unaffected yes, by, by bombs up close and death, carnage yeah, of that kind. Blood. Yeah. I, I, I cannot excuse the temperament of Zell and Renoa mm. and Irvine, Irvine just, yeah. in that scene. It's yeah. just not right. It's just right. not how I cannot, I am not convinced or I do not yeah. believe that even a child right. would act that way they, in that moment. They would handle it worse than yes. someone older. They would be, they would be less, traumatized more. Exactly. They would be it. more likely to just. Like what? Go hide under a rock until it's over. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I can, I'm sorry, I can't back off on that one. <laughs> now, but, if we're you know, talking there about there may be some fair criticism. If, if there, we're though. talking about, um, if we're talking about the way that the forest owls plop on the floor to do their plans, <laughs> sure, sure. I think that that's beneficial to the story yeah. because Squall calls them out for that. Right. Right. Like, yeah, these are kids trying to lead a resistance movement. That's mm-hmm. about how you would expect it to go. Yes. So, like, it's totally fine there. I just really hated it in the Galbadia versus Ballon Garden scene. Yeah. I, I just feel like it really didn't fit. Yeah, fair enough. All right, this one comes from Nathan Kim. At first, I was like, ain't no way in hell I'm going to listen to hours of FF8 podcasts. Now I need to listen to part four. You guys did an excellent job. I don't know why I copied that over as much as maybe to say. <laughs> Thank you. Um, yeah. I'm really glad that people have enjoyed this format. Yeah, we enjoy and it. We enjoy it. I don't know if you can tell. I hope you can tell from our conversation <laughs> yeah. that we enjoy this. We enjoy talking to each other about this. Um, and it's, I, it's fun. I feel like we've hit a stride with this that yeah. is going to carry us a really long way into the future of our content. Yeah. And I want to thank all of you guys for watching and supporting yeah. um, because you've convinced me that it's strong enough to be brought to the main channel, to be featured yeah. more, and for us to do it with a lot more games moving forward. Because even though, like, you do make your analysis videos and they're good, they're deep, they're, they're, they're shorter, they're mm. limited in scope. I mean, mm. we're talking, what is this? This is going to be like 12 hours yeah, like of Final Fantasy VIII analysis, pure analysis every minute. <laughs> and that is, like, who would have known that there was any demand for that? Yeah. Let alone, you know, all you guys that are watching. So thank you. So this one comes from Locanio or Locania. <coughs> I'm not sure when you're going to talk about the lore of Hein in this series, oh, but I wanted yeah, to pose we a theory about him and the sorceress lineage that yeah. I posted lore way back. So I want to say that I read your theory. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to bring it up because it's like several paragraphs here. 
Um, I kind of already addressed my feelings about fan theories. Just in general. But I yeah. do think that we need to take a second to talk about the Well, because Hein is a historical figure within the actual yeah. game. So I, I was a little confused at first why mm. so many people were asking us to talk about Hein. Yeah. There was like a lot of requests to talk about Hein. And I think <laughs> it's because they want us to theory craft about Hein. Oh, geez. Because there's not really that much other than in the game this was about like the Hein. early first sorceress that right. selected women the to first, pass on power. The right? first time they mention Hein is again optional, of course. <laughs> of it's, course. it's in the it's in the house next door to Zell's house. But you have to do it before you do the Dalit mission. Oh, really? You have to go in there, and there's like a, an older man who's like telling his granddaughter the story about Hein. Whoa. And he more or less explains the current myth within the world, what they believe about it now, mm. which is Hein was like a god of Final Fantasy VIII's world who um, <coughs> created human beings for some purpose. They were uh, making or building something, and, and he went to go to sleep. And when he woke up, people had populated to such an insane degree, he was like, well, there's way too many fetching people. Mm -hmm. And so he started like taking away their children, kind of like killing them off. Right. And this led to a huge war between Hein and like human beings. Right. And human beings ended up kind of subduing him, and so he made a promise that he would split half of his body, so like half of his power is right. what that's supposed to be, that he would give to humans and then right. he would you know, keep his other half to like supplicate them. Right. What he didn't tell them is that the half that he gave them was completely useless. Was, yeah. <laughs> but the other half where he kept all his power is the power, it became the power that is passed into sorceresses. Right. So like Hein's power is passed from sorceress to sorceress to sorceress. And that's right. where the sorceresses, that's like the origin of sorceresses hmm. in this world. That is, the extent of Heinz legend in this world that we know of in the text that's in the okay. game, or really even in what they explain in Ultimania. There's just not that much about it. The, the second time <coughs> that you see anyone talking about it, again optional, is when you go to the white seed ship and you go to like, what do you call it, like the nose of the ship. Oh, yeah. There's a, a seed, like a, a female seed there with two kids. And again, you have to do it the right time. Because if you mm. go there right when you enter the seed ship and you just hook around and talk to them, they won't say anything about Hein. Oh but if gosh. you go through like the whole sequence and you talk to everybody and you're ready yeah. to leave the white seed ship and then you go talk to her, I think it triggers this scene where she's telling okay. them about Hein and she more or less says the same thing. Now there's some speculation about whether or not Hein is actually a god or not or whether he's okay. just a powerful wizard or something, but it's not really that relevant because I don't know. It's just like, we this just is the know. origins of we the sorceress's power. That's, right. it, that's basically all you get Like there was of, an ancient sorceress-ish type person that lived a long time ago, and that's, I mean, there you go. Yeah. So, you know, I'll read just this next little bit so that you can get an idea of like why people like to discuss about this. He says, I pose that the stronger a sorceress is, the more blood of Heinz they have in their veins, and the longer they spend with that power and blood, the more they resemble Heinz. So this is like why Adele, for oh, instance, is like more evil and looks than another very Oh, by the way, I don't know if you saw this. I, I saw know. your addendum. So I did, did you see, you see the video I, clips I used? Yes. Where you could see that it's body armor. I did not in in the um 
PlayStation version? In the SD version, not the HD. In the original version, that. it just they all look like tattoo thingies. <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't look like, but I did see that. Yeah. So it's like metal, a metal yes. texture body armor. That's I, like, like you put tattoo armor, and it's like well, okay, yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. So, anyways, armor is the most useless I, the armor the reason, in the world. The reason why we haven't really talked about this much is because I can't see how it is like terribly relevant to the thematic core of FF8 right. as much as it is just kind of like background information. But the game itself and even the Ultimania doesn't offer much on this. It's kind of just Heinz power is where you got passing the sorceresses. I mean, this is kind of a cool idea that like um, the more of Heinz power you have in you, the more evil you are or something, right? I, I right. guess that could explain it, but I don't think it really contextualizes anything to a degree to where it's like, oh, okay, that, like that makes this plot point make more sense or right. this, this adds to the game's theme somehow. So, again, I apologize that I can't be a great theory crafter or, or a discusser of theories. Or a theory discusser. I'm, it, it's just gotcha. not funny. So. Okay, so we have Aikichi on Onizuka. Onizuka? Aikichi Onizuka. Aikichi Onizuka. I love your analysis of the basketball court scene. Very valid points of criticism levied. However, I think the characters resigning themselves to fate immediately makes sense. They're all mercenaries trained since childhood and are thus conditioned to behave like this. Since Liberi Fatali is literally fated children or children of fate, right. I think this behavior is meant to solidify this theme. I think it's perfectly rational for Renoa to be the objecting voice since she's an outsider that was recently brought into the fold. Um, okay. I, get, I get where you're coming from. I do. Um, I wouldn't go so far to say perfectly rational. I wouldn't go yes. there. Um, but there is some element of fate. They can't change it, and they're doing what they're doing. I mean, there, there's, you know, there's but, some But, there. like, Squall tries to defy fate in saving Renoa. Basically, many times. Yeah. Like, he often, I don't think that it's yeah, that they yes. are... That there, there's never a... a how am, I, how am I trying to say this? I don't think that the characters have an attitude of just resigning themselves to fate and that that's tied to the theme. I think hmm. they are fated and that's part of the theme. But I don't necessarily think that, that them like immediately just resigning themselves to fate is part of the thematic core, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because, like I said, Squall does try to change fate in the story. Yes. Yep. So... I don't know, like, I, I, again, I can kind of see what you mean, but I, I'm, I'm not convinced that they would just be immediately okay with killing their matron. <laughs> um, that they wouldn't have any reservation or any Especially hesitation. Especially right that. in that moment. Like, maybe if they took some days and thought on it and said, you know, we really have to Came still do this. Came around on it. Yeah. But they just now barely remembered the only mother figure that they have yeah. in, in their mind. And, and it's in that moment that they decide that, they, that the, that's okay to do. And, you know. They don't, they don't share any hesitancy about it. It's one yeah. thing to. Sorry, I'm going to take this out of my pocket. I might mess things up a little bit for a second. It's one thing to come to the conclusion that you need to do something after yeah. wrestling with the emotional yes. distress of the fact that I'm going to have to kill my mom. Yes. <laughs> it's another thing to just yeah. almost show no hesitancy about it whatsoever yeah. and say, eh, got to kill her, I guess. Job's a job. Yeah. That's the more what I yeah. 
have a problem with in that in that orphanage flashback is that they yeah. realize all this stuff and there's not even any kind of emotional trigger that says like should we really be doing this there's no doubt there's no hesitancy they share none of that they just plunge forward and they're we're going to kill her and, and it i don't think that's how they would feel right about the person who raised them i agree i agree there would be some some hesitancy and renoa the one who didn't know idea growing up She's the one that wants to save her. It, there, there's a weird disconnect there. It doesn't, yeah. um, it doesn't jive. But I did bring up at the time that even though they had resolved that, hey, we got a job to do, we have to do our job, they weren't going to kill her. Yeah. They were going to the orphanage to find out more information. Right. They just happened to run into her on the way and yes. then had to make an immediate yeah, decision. I think so there is still some like, way that it works out. Right. If know? they said, we're going to try and find a way to not kill uh, Idea. We're going to try to find a way to save her from the sorceress's power. Let's go to the orphanage and investigate or something. Yeah. And on the way, Idea is literally trying to kill you. And you're fighting in self-defense. You have to. That's different than yeah. I'm seeking you out to kill you now. <laughs> yes. So they didn't do that. So at the very least, you know, they're, you know they're, they're, they weren't as um, resolute in their just we have to kill her even though she's our mom. But um, they did decide to do it still. Yeah. And then they just happened to run into her and, well, we got to do it now. Um, so same commenter. Um, well, actually, no, no. Let's actually, let's actually move to the next one because that's going to probably take too long. Uh, next one comes from JetsDuck1. I really like the vocal eyes on me playing during the Ragnarok scene. As mentioned, the dialogue between the characters is in text boxes as opposed to verbalized, so it didn't clash that much with me. It was also really impressive at the time to have a vocal song playing during a game. We didn't bring that up, did right? Because it's a benefit. This was of a ninety-eight or ninety-nine, yeah. and that was a big deal. It's an impressive thing. That was a right? big deal. Fair, um, enough. Fair enough. Good point. Uh, combined with the FMV's part of the reasoning why I liked FF8, seemed like such a grand movie. Most importantly, though, to me was the storyline <coughs> significance for those uh, paying close attention. This melody uh, had been shown to the player numerous times by then. Julia, my, my Mind, Waltz for the Moon, Love Grows, these are different tracks yes, yeah. where it has that leitmotif. But without lyrics. You know from the Delling flashback that Julia wrote the melody but was struggling for lyrics and from the Windhill flashback that she had finally written them about Laguna. So in that very moment on the Ragnarok, you were really hearing Julia singing about Laguna for the first time. For, for those heavily invested, it was a pretty large payoff and seemed as if uh, in that moment the, the decreased Julia's words were finally, or the deceased Julia's words were finally reaching Laguna through their children. Um, I thought that was an interesting perspective. That is me. a very interesting perspective. I would have liked that if, if we needed to do it that way, which is, which is true. You, you needed to hear that song, not just in the end credits, like yeah. sometime before. Um, I still would have preferred that happen elsewhere other than right then. Okay. Um, and I still... Um, you know, because you can still have that moment. That song is written by, Lajunia, by Julia about Laguna. Um, and so I think that also, we did bring this up a little bit, but that also does make it a little weird to be playing during Squall and Renoa's, you know, moment. This song about, you know, other people that we know is about not the two people we're looking at. Mm -hmm. Now, I know there is a connection, but there is still, I feel like maybe we could have heard that song at some other point maybe on the radio or something and it would have or but then you wouldn't have heard the whole song or it needed yeah. to play for a for a yeah, prolonged period that's a good point 
So I don't it's know. Tough. And you can't have a prolonged period without text boxes. But I'm, in my head, comprehending, listening, and reading at the same time is difficult for me. I agree that that can be a problem. Yeah. It's not just the vocalized words clashing. Um, yeah. I'm okay with it personally, but there were people in my stream while I was playing yeah. this who were like, man, I don't like that they vocalize here too. So I think yeah. there's kind of a split on this. Some people really like it, some people don't. Sounds like Final Fantasy Sounds VIII. like Final Fantasy <laughs> VIII, right? But, but, but that is a very good point, it, yeah. that, that it was one of the first, you know, PS1 was the first console to be able to do this, and that that song did have really intense meaning, and it's hard to fit that in anywhere else. Yeah. So. Um, what was I going to say? You you almost said Lajulia there. <laughs> yes. And I was like, yeah. you know how they do the... Uh, Brangelina, they yeah, yeah. Yeah, they combine the teams that they like. Yes. Oh, gosh. Lajulia yeah. is a good one. That's a good team, <laughs> team to be Lajulia. on. Team Lajulia. <laughs> yeah, too bad that one didn't work out. No, man. Who's on team... Um, who's Car- Carlisle? Carlulia? Who was on team... Caraway. Caraway. Caralulia. Who was on that team? <laughs> no one. Those are the jerks. They'll avoid those people. <laughs> I don't know if I mentioned this. Did I mention this back on the other podcast where, you remember the, the soldier in the red? Yes, you did mention it. You who, did. Who's like pissed that Laguna in that, in that first flashback yeah. is talking to Julia. He's like, I'm going to get you like Sent, far Deployed away. front lines, yeah, far away. That, that guy is Caraway. Yes, you did mention that. There's somebody who, I think it's Chocolate Rob brought that up. He thinks that it, that's another fan theory I like. Hey, that's cool. <laughs> but, but, it, but it's subtext in the game pointing to that. It's not, you know. Yeah. So this one is Throwaway McGee one, or I'm gonna keep saying one, but it's actually just saying one week ago. That's not, so that wasn't oh. Jets Duck one, that's just Jets Duck. Oh, so the copy paste. And this is Throwaway McGee. Cool. I think you guys have greatly misunderstood one of the core points of the game that explains everything. Squall okay. is a necrophiliac. <laughs> he only has feelings for Anoa when she's unconscious. No, I wanted to bring this up. Okay. <laughs> or when she thinks she's about to die. It's why he, ke- he, why he takes her unconscious body and heads out before anyone knows what's up. He's got plans. It's why he's got so annoyed about having to save Renoa, who's hanging for her life. Um, and <laughs> why the developers Like he wanted you. her to die. Yeah, he wants oh her to die. Gosh. Like, why, why do you keep hanging on? This is uh, too much, man. This is too <laughs> it's much. It's why the lyrics of the song's eyes on me refer to a creepy dude who just keeps showing up to stare at this girl. My last night here with you, maybe yes, maybe no. Oh my That's gosh. why he's staring at her, in case it's yes. Squall isn't a vulnerable protagonist struggling with trauma and trust issues. He's a freak who's self-conscious about his freaky fetish, and this ties up to the issues you have with the game. I look forward to apology in the following of, <laughs> in the follow-up video. Wow. Um, okay. That was a dedicated. That was uh, something. That was a dedicated joke. I I uh, I, I I tip my hat to you, Throwaway <laughs> McGee, for going like. Uh, he just went full, like, he, I mean, full he on. dove into the deep end with yes, that one yeah. and went all the way with it, and I commend it. Uh, good work. I did have to bring up this one thing, though, since he mentioned it, though. I do have to bring this up. I do. Because there is a general theory amongst uh, maybe more, like, uh, like feminist-type women yeah. that there is this part of men that wants a woman to be silent and to not talk and to yeah. not think, right? And that it just so happens that when Renault's not talking or thinking, that That's Squall is very her. interested. And but but that is dispelled, especially by the end, where especially that last scene with mm, the, the not cam. when the camcorder runs out of batteries. So it's just the cinematic, yeah. where they are actually interacting together, yeah. and he does still like her. So it's not that, but there is something there, you know. That's that's uh, interesting. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, uh, apologize 
officially. You should. <laughs> <laughs> um, Harini Mar Marchad? Marchetti. Marchetti? Marchetti. Harini Marchetti, maybe? Interested to hear your final thoughts on Ultimisha as a villain, if you give them. I feel like she oh, was kind okay. of flat and bland as a villain, personally. Well, what yeah, did you feel did, about Ultimisha? We didn't get to know her at all. We didn't know where she came from. We didn't know, other than time compression, we didn't know what she wanted, other than to just own everything. Um, she is a flat villain, but she's not the only villain in the game. Yeah. I mean, I guess technically she's kind of in control of a lot of the stuff that you see. Um, but you get to know more about all of the other villains. I mean, it's true she's flat, but you don't even know who she is until like halfway through disc I think, three. Yeah, I think it's just a it's a it's a consequence of the fact that like this is a slow reveal. Yeah, Ultimisha is a slow reveal rather than a villain that's opposing you right from the start. Yeah, and so like first you <coughs> think it's Galbadia, and then you think it's Idea, and you know Cipher's kind of mixed up in that. Yeah, and then it's Adele, and then it's just like it slowly leads to this reveal of this sorceress from the future. Yeah. So like, yeah, typically you want more development on your villain than this. I'm but okay with in this, this story. I think yeah. it's fine. I think it's fine, and yeah. I, I I am more than happy with the with the roundness to which they gave sorceress Adea. Yeah, to to be critical that they didn't do that same thing with Ultimacy. Yeah. I'm I'm you know it's yeah. fine. I'm with you on that. This one comes from Aaron Epson. Interesting thought. In quantum mechanics, there's a theory called the many worlds theorem. Yes. Not yes. an expert, but I'm at any that. given moment where a decision is made, all results are possible. In the last scene of the game, Squall yeah. finds himself in the past with Idea and tells her what is to come. He tells her to create garden, to make seeds and fight the sorceress, and that the first gunblade specialist is to go on this bogus mission for timber. But he doesn't mention his name. There's no direct text, but this is how I read the scene. This creates a time loop, and the first events of the game come after the last. The all these decisions were made again. The all these decisions were made all, Meaning all. the decisions were made each time these same decisions were made again. Okay. How do we know they would go the same way again? Cypher took the seed exam twice before Squall, he could have passed. Idea stopped a sniper bullet uh, from five blocks away. Who is to say that can happen again? You can go on from there. I waited uh, over two months to write this message. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> I understand the many worlds theory, but um, and it applies to everything. So yeah. yes, theoretically, there is other worlds that where this could happen. Uh, but Idea did know she did connect she the did. fact that that's because she said you're the only squall allowed in this world. She was talking to the mm -hmm. young kid. Yeah. So she did know that that was older adult squall. Yeah. She she put those pieces together because yeah. squall sees his younger self run away and he he's turns like, to her and he's he like won't do he nothing. won't he'll yeah. come back later yeah. he'll be fine and she kind of sees in the subtext wait a yes. minute I'm talking to the same person and it's clear that she knows she knows yeah so. There you go. But still, you know, and but the many worlds hypothesis leads down a crazy rabbit hole that I just it's it's there's there's too many possibilities. Yeah. So um, okay, she chibi fox. I realize this comment is late, but I wanted to give my thoughts on what you were saying about how the player choice impacts the romance. Okay, so this is uh, one of the one of the one of our female viewers who's writing this, right? Okay. Because we asked for yes. feedback from from women on yeah. this. I absolutely agree. There is there and also in the date scene in Fisherman Horizon, the way you pick the music has an impact on the way the following scene goes as well. This is not something I've ever known because I've always picked the same music every yeah, time. Yeah, me too. I didn't Depending know Depending on which song you create, the scene between Squall and Renoa ends up being different. 
Okay. So that's an even added element of how that scene can, how the romance can be received differently, depending on which scene that you see okay. in Fisherman's Horizon, depending on which music you picked for the oh, players man. to play. Isn't that crazy? I mean, that's cool, but this I'm is, saying, oh man, because I, I might have missed something. <laughs> you are, re- you're, you're embodying why I don't like that. Yeah. I don't like that stylistic right. choice. I played the game twenty times before I finally ever even thought about, hey, let's have. Let's have um, let's have someone do tap dancing or wh- I can't remember what the options were. Yeah, because so, I didn't. I just I'm not into that. Anyways, but yeah, with Squall, if you pick all the cold options, it really does somewhat ruin his character arc because it basically removes the development. Squall yeah. is written to go from point A to B, and we, the player, uh, get some say in that development. Problem is, if you give him no development, then uh, excuse me, there's uh, then he's not going to stay at point A. He's not going to stay at point A, even though that would feel more natural. Oh, right. He's just going to all of a sudden get to point B with no development because the player didn't choose to give him that. Uh, And for the first time players, they might not know if or when they should make him uh, open up or they might just not uh, want him to. As a girl who actually does like the romance and also likes to role play the main character, I almost always end up playing Squall the same way. At the Mm -hmm. start, I always tend to pick the professional cold responses, but as Squall starts feeling more emotionally unstable at this point, I have him start to open up to his friends because it feels very natural. It feels like a very natural place for that growth to start. <laughs> I agree with that um, for the most part. And I think that's yeah. probably the best way to do it. Is yeah. like when he starts, like after the Galbadia garden scene where he freaks out mm-hmm. and like runs away and you know, um, talks about not wanting to be just a memory or whatever. Yep. Right around there, kind of making a switch to picking more warm responses yeah. for squalls. Probably an appropriate time yeah. to start doing that. This is the danger of giving players choice, though. I mean, yeah. people have um, can screw up their own playthrough without knowing it. Uh, we have Tears of the Fallen here. Um, error ratio in mathematics would be a way to describe the accuracy. So we talking about the, the error ratio. Thing. Yeah. Meaning the precision will pr- uh, proportionally drop, causing spread to increase. Right. The issue here might be the translation, but I've been studying and learning mathematics for 10 years and programming software for the last five. That would be a source code variable, but the UI would have a very different name called spread or area of effect. I suspect a translation error, but could just be a bad name. However, in terms of its real-world counterpart, it definitely exists and is accurate in its meaning. So I ended up asking for clarification on that because I was doing a little bit of preliminary research on missile guidance and stuff. So he said he found this uh, paper here that he quotes. He says, check out uh, optimality of error dynamics in missile guidance problems. This is probably the first result from the Google search missile guidance error. The idea behind error is the projected angle, meaning the flight path, and the projected arrival point, the impact zone. Introducing error in this will make the missiles go off course relative to the error value. So expanding the error ratio will in turn expand the radius of the impact. Imagine trying to draw a 180 degree line by hand going towards a point on a piece of paper. The error would be the percentage difference of the angle at different points along the line compiled. This can be used to calculate how far off you are from 180 degrees. This error uh, will also show you where you're at in relation to your destination point. Say each 1.5 uh, degree relates to a 500 meter difference on the zone or on the impact zone. That means your spread has now increased and the range of destination will be increased. 
In a missile guidance system, the parameters that determine the angle are much more precise than a human hand. So aside from environmental variables, I would say maybe like wind or mm -hmm. something like that. Um, after launch, the only way to tweak the radius is to manually select multiple points per single missile or to tweak the precision of the missiles, so which is done by changing the error in the calculations. So because they fired multiple missiles, you don't want them all to hit the exact same point. Yeah, you, you do want an error rate bit. so that that way it'll hit around a area. So I wanted to bring this up as a counterpoint to our <coughs> dismissal to of our, this, this is idea, stupid. Yeah. right? That, Interesting. that it could have a practical application. Theoretically, when you're doing it, you may not know that there are multiple missiles, although you you probably do know because when the missiles are launched to Trabia, you do see like five or six go up. Yeah. So They've you, launched quite a few, yeah. Yeah. So, so the idea is just that That's fascinating. they don't want them all to hit literally exactly the precise same the point. Exact point. They want to spread out the impact of the missiles a little Which bit. Which means by upping the error rate, you likely made it harder for the Ballon Garden to, to escape. escape the radius of impact. Correct. So. We did the wrong thing, <laughs> thinking it was so stupid. Yeah, so we were doing increasing the, right thing. the error rate actually <laughs> increases the chance of Balam guarding being hit. Because it moves from the area of impact, but we widened the area of impact. So, so he, finishes this, he finishes this off by saying, so like I said, I 100% agree with you that the words error would never be used in this case for the UI, the user interface. Right. Because what you're trying to do is increase the range of impact in that triangle. But the way to achieve that is to increase the error rate making the missile, uh, the missile system more imprecise, but still accurate. Precision being the closeness of the impact points and accuracy being the relative distance from the target and the impact points. So, Alrighty. Cool. great <laughs> response. Thank you for that. Well researched. It, it, uh, it uh, definitely is a, a very valid point. Cool. And I think that's it. I think that that was, oh no, there's a couple more. Uh, we got Ray Elric. By the way, I'm a woman. I don't like the romance. And for, the mo for most women, you hit the nail on the head with why she kept at it. Think about it. Zone and what's-his-name calling her princess, so the, t the Timber Owls people. Her father treating her like she's so fragile and shelf-worthy. Yep. Cypher liked her enough to do her, what he did, tried to rescue her at the TV right. station. He wasn't shy about yeah. him liking her. Irvine is a flirt, but she still <laughs> uh, presumed it was because of her prowess. Squall acts like you wish... So she must have him. Very, I think that's a very valid point. I, I that, thank you for a response from um, a woman on that. That is what we suspected was the case. Yeah. Uh, this one comes from Kikiokyo. Kiki, Kikiokyo. Um, Kikiokyo, yeah. As, some, as something to add, the tours around Balam Garden with Renoa can be completely missed if Squall decided to send her to Selfie's party with the missile base as the second party won't return until the boss fight in Fisherman's oh, Horizon. with the, the machine. Right. right. Uh, it would also seem Oof. to hurt the growth of their relationship if the player did this as well. I just loved the touches they made in having her along, though, especially that sequence in responding to Dr. Katawaki with both warm responses. Um, in response to that comment, That's Fallen Wings says, it doesn't hurt the growth at all. I always send Renoa on the other team. One, I like having an all-girls team. And two, the dialogue of when they meet up is super cute. You can even select oh. Squall saying, I missed her. Oh, or that really? He missed her. So there's kind of two sides to that. Like, huh. one, you don't get the Renoa tour scene yeah. if you send her away. But 
Squall can then say, I missed you, right. or I was thinking about you, I had thought you died maybe. If you selected. If you selected yeah. her to go that way. So two perspectives on that to consider. That's fascinating. Huh? Um, one last one here from Mimic uh, Warrior Artist. Uh, he and I have um, <laughs> had uh, a lot of good uh, back and forth you say over, ex- over the years. Exchange pleasantries. <laughs> Exchanges <laughs> on YouTube over the years. Yeah. Um, you caught this uh Today Comment or yesterday, yeah. On the last upload that we yeah. did. Do you want to explain kind of what he was saying and give your response to that um, first? Basically, it's, there, there's just, it's just the beginning part. It's not the entire comment. It's mostly the beginning part. And it was in reference to you talking about the Ragnarok coming, Deus Ex Machina. Yeah. And, you know, Deus Ex Machina meaning, well, God out of the machine is technically what it means, but like something out of nothing, right, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But the nothing being like the story, like the... Something out of just like your imagination, basically, as referring to the story writer, is the way I would refer to it this way. But yeah. you kind of mentioned, you kind of did cover that. I tried to correct myself. He, it might not be like said, a technical Deus Ex Machina, but it's still a, <laughs> such an unlikely thing to happen. It might as but well. But I, I still think it is. I mean, you yeah. know. But basically, this um, comment and what was his name again? Mimic Warrior Mimic Artist. Warrior Artist. Um, yeah says, yeah, uh, it does seem quite unlikely that the Ragnarok would show up right then and there. But... It's not a problem because... It's not a problem because um, this story is a fantasy story. Yeah. Like, period. And we get this a lot, actually. We hear this from so many people. I have seen this as a rebuttal to criticism I've made. Probably a hundred times since I started doing YouTube videos. But you you have an interesting way of answering this though because you talk, I think the reason that comes up is because people use a word. The word that that um, makes people think, oh, but it's a fantasy, yeah. is the word realistic. Yeah, that's not, so, that, that's not realistic. That wouldn't yes, happen. Say that's not right. realistic. And then the, the rebuttal is, oh, it's a fantasy. Why are you expecting something realistic? Yes. Well, that's not what I mean by realistic. And so, Mike, you <laughs> yeah. actually have a better word yes. that you use for that. So go so, ahead and explain that. There's a difference between making something realistic and making something convincing. Convincing, that's or the word. believable, maybe yeah. would be an alternate to that. Sure. Um, no, no, no. No, no. Fantasy, convincing. No. That's the word. Here's the thing. <laughs> it doesn't have to be realistic. To for it to happen and for me to go, oh, I buy that. Right. I, I'm, I'm convinced that that would happen in this world. Yeah. It's not realistic in Harry Potter that they have a wizard school. That they can do magic. Yes. She convinced me right. in the course of building that world mm-hmm. that this happens and this <clears throat> is worth believing in. Here. Yes. It's the suspension of disbelief. It's, right? yeah. it's, storytelling is all set up and payoff. Yeah. Right? So if you don't want a story element to land as if it's a deus ex machina or it comes out of nowhere Mm. or it's just this miraculous thing, it's a good idea to set it up or to explain the rules of how your world works if it's going to go contrary to what people would assume would happen so that they can believe in it when it happens. Exactly. It needs to be set up. You don't have to make it realistic because it's a fantasy world, but you do have to convince me it would happen. Yes, there in is, your world. There is it needs nothing, to be convincing. There is nothing in Final Fantasy VIII's world building that would, that would make me assume that gravity is not a law and that this and that that this thing, isn't thing is revolving. in gravity yeah. going around. The planet, I, yeah. The, <coughs> those laws seem to mirror our own world. They do and appear to. 
There's yes. nothing here that suggests otherwise. So that's right. still c- incredibly unlikely to happen. Yes. I'm not convinced by the scene. Exactly. But that doesn't, so just saying it's fantasy so they can do whatever they want with it is, I think, um, a, a, a kind of a mistake to, to, yeah. to make because you were saying, mm-hmm. try this, you know. Yeah, so write your own story and make a story where, well, it's fantasy so anything can happen and literally make anything happen and see who buys that book because it's, it, if there are no rules, if there are no constraints, if everything just comes out of nowhere and nothing needs to be explained and anything can happen because, quote, it's a fantasy, um, then, and that's your rationale behind it, uh, then it's not going to resonate with anybody. Like, having a story that resonates with people is the reason why we tell stories. Like, resonance is, like, so valuable. Yeah. And if you're going to forego something that resonates, which means familiarity or convincing people that this could happen in your world, that's fair enough, um, and creating a believable world in the first place, <laughs> yeah. um, and it doesn't mean... It doesn't mean that you can't play around with these fantasy elements. Sure. It doesn't mean you can't have crazy stuff happening. Yeah. But you need to set it up and you need to have rules that make sense so that people can follow them. What people do when they read is oftentimes they're trying to guess what's going to happen next. Yeah. You know? What's going to happen next year? And if you take that away from the player by saying anything can happen, you're, there is no possible way you're going to be able to guess what happens yeah. next because anything can happen at any point and there is no, there is no rule against it. Um, then you've created a system that basically takes the, the it's, it's not, what's the word? There's active reading, active participation, and then there's passive. Well, passive you know, yeah. You've taken the active role away from the reader yeah. by creating a system where they can't possibly anticipate anything. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I'm taking this to the extreme because that's not what um, Mimic was saying necessarily. Um, I'm just saying that the, the answer that it's a fantasy, therefore it doesn't have to make sense, that is not a good response. Yeah, I, I agree. But I believe the response comes to the portrayal or the word realistic. Whenever you and I or somebody yes. uses the word realistic, the assumption is, oh, these dummies don't know that they're watching a fantasy movie. Like, yeah, yeah okay, we know we're watching a fantasy. Realistic means something, there's a disconnect. Yeah. We're, we're talking past each other. And so the word convincing, I think, is a much better word to use so that people um, who are inclined to believe it without much effort, right, yeah. who don't need much convincing, I guess, um, won't have the rebuttal of, it's. well, it's a fantasy, it doesn't have to be realistic. It's a fantasy, it still has to be convincing. This is the rationale behind Brandon Sanderson's hard magic that he creates for his mm-hmm. worlds, right? Um, because you want the resolution to a problem to have the audience say, our characters were geniuses yeah. to think to do that yeah. within the confines or the rules of within this world. Within the rules. I didn't think yeah. that, but now that because I understand the rules, yes, that's completely possible. Yeah. And holy crap, they're geniuses for thinking of that. Yeah. Right? Within the I wouldn't have thought of that. That's awesome. Yeah. That's but it, what you it was want yes. your audience to do when a problem is resolved. Mm-hmm. The problem here is Squall and Renoa are floating helplessly out into space. Space is big, by the way. <laughs> space is very large. And how on earth are they possibly gonna get out of this? Yeah. Rather than just having a spaceship just can very conveniently show up. If it was docked at the station before the station got yeah. destroyed, and you know, I don't and, know. And somebody piloted it over to them. Sure. 
and, and you saw it, right? So there was a yeah. whole setup to it. As you're, as you're running around inside the space station, you're looking out the window and you see this Ragnarok ship docked at the space station. Yeah. And it's like, I don't know, Laguna or something. Like right. when they try oh. to escape, they run out and get inside of it. What? Yeah. How did Laguna? Then, what if Laguna found you? And then they pull you? over yeah. and, and grab you because you need to go talk to Laguna at this point, right. anyways. Like right after this, it makes but more it, sense. It, what it would yeah. what it would cause complications for? What we now have to problem solve. We weren't supposed to know that was Laguna. Well, you're not <laughs> first supposed to know the Laguna, but also yeah. you wouldn't have the scene with. Squall and Renoa being in the alone cockpit. in the co- and alone. So that's why, because I actually thought when I was trying to rationalize why Squall should have hugged her and all that. Yeah. I thought, well, what if the Ragnarok was piloted and then as soon as they got in it, they were imprisoned right then. Yes. Instead of having this whole thing. Yes. Well, dang it! Now you miss this the the scene and her and the character development. Anyways. So anyways, would miss that, that would introduce new problems. So that's probably not the answer, right? No. That's not my point. Is not that, that I mean, have in my brain right now a better right. idea of how to solve this. My point is that it's not been set up. <laughs> so therefore, when it happens, it feels really convenient and unsatisfying. Yeah. Because it's like, oh, that's how they get out of this? And, right. Uh, and that's, that's part that of cool. the stakes were so high to have them be resolved by just a mere happen chance. Oh, we happen to be floating right next to a thing that takes yeah. us home. Um, that is anticlimactic. Like, it's anticlimactic. It, it takes these high stakes and it makes them just like fizzle out. Yes. I agree with that 100%. Yeah. It's more about the fact that it's deflating of the high stakes yeah, and it feels too convenient to be convincing than it is about like, oh, but like it's a fantasy story and we could concoct some sort of rule in mm-hmm. which like this is made more possible or something. But you got you, if you're going to do that, you just have to explain. You just it have first. to set it up, you and that's the thing. So instead of just saying, "Oh, it's a fantasy and anything goes," yeah. you could say, "It's a fantasy, therefore you should have set it up ahead of time." Yes, like you, they had all the freedom in the world to set this up better. I know yes. they mentioned the Ragnarok at some point, but like that's different from actually like creating a system or a rule whereby which. This is like remote. Well, possible. when the, the the you do see a scene where those Ragnaroks are, Ragnaroks are launched and carrying Adele, Adele up. There. up. However, yeah. you don't see the scene until you talk to Laguna after the fact. Oh, so it so wasn't set up. It was time. not set up. Oh, never mind. It was explained afterwards that how the ship got into orbit, but it still doesn't change the That's fact a problem. that they their precise location in space is in the like orbit. Yeah. Of the Ragnarok at the precise <laughs> moment that it comes up on them. Yeah. Even if it, like I think I said in the video, if it was within a mile of them and they could even just see it, that would, that be, would miraculous. be miraculous. <laughs> yeah. The fact that it, it actually comes in contact with them is unbelievably unlikely. Yeah. Like the odds of that are insane. Yep. That it's not on the other side of the planet in its orbit. Right. That it's not in that an That it's orbit at the right level of orbit. Or north-south. Or, yeah, yeah. That it's maybe like a high, uh, what do we call it? It's not higher. It's I know, a wider we're in space. orbit or a narrower yeah, orbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? It's Whether it's in low it's Earth gravity. It's perfectly or, yeah. aligned with them. Yeah. Is, might as well be impossible. It's so unlikely. Yes. And... <laughs> And you, you, you have to actually contend with that. You can't just say that, oh, well, Katase wrote it a fantasy and so it works. You, you have to actually contend with this. And Katase chose not to yeah. contend with the unlikelihood of this event. He chose not to actually give it its due, which would have actually helped with such a high-stakes situation. He, he chose not to do it. That was a conscious choice for them to do. And the fact that the story happens to be classified in this genre of fantasy does not excuse that. Yes, I agree 100%. So, 
Anyways, there were many, many great comments. Very good comments, yeah. And, and there was yeah. no way I was going to be able to respond to all of them. I've tried to respond to some just in text, like there on YouTube and stuff. Yeah. But um, the most great the engagement. most common one that I've heard, which is funny because it is basically the reason this is what we are setting out to do. Yeah. But I've heard so many people say, "Wow, this really deepened my appreciation for the game." And honestly, that's like that's like our goal. Like we we want that result. Like if yeah. we can help people to deepen the appreciation of games that they already like or realize uh, appreciate games that they didn't like before. Um, that's awesome. And thanks for letting us know that because that's that is what we're trying to do. And we. Uh, just so many people really yeah. and, like and this series. I, I'm I'm really like grateful that that ended up being yeah. how people took it because we do criticize the we game do a lot. quite a bit quite we a bit a lot and despite that like if people are still mm. because that's kind of the point we're trying to make is like there's a lot of things about this game yes. that have or still do bother us of course but like <laughs> underneath all of that I think that Final Fantasy VIII is still a really great game with a yeah. lot of a lot of cool ideas uh-huh. and a lot of really effective moments mm-hmm. and good storytelling yes. um, and 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 there's some bad storytelling but like mm-hmm. there's yeah. a core in the middle of it that I really appreciate yeah. myself and, and I, I've learned I to appreciate more and more over time it's very like valuable is the way I would describe yeah. this game this is a very valuable game to play in in a lot of different ways yeah, yeah. so very good. We thank everybody for watching uh, this 12-hour <laughs> dissertation on Final Fantasy VIII. Um, there have also been a lot of people who have commented and said, I can't believe I watched a two-and-a-half-hour video about Final Fantasy VIII. Yeah, and then they Much say, less when's the next one? And again and yeah. again. <laughs> but, um, hey, we, we're going to do this for a lot of different games. Yeah, so We are stoked about this format. We're glad that you guys are liking it. Yeah. And um, if you would like to vote on the next one that we cover, um, hit us up on Patreon. Uh, or, or on Subscribestar. Uh, either place you'll be able to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, we're looking forward to the next one. Okay. Till then, we'll see you at the end of April. Peace out, everybody. Whatever. <laughs>